Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Out of Practice podcast series finale here in your podcast feeds. I just want to uh, give you all the heads up that this episode is also available in video form on YouTube. And this one might actually be worth checking out. Uh, we have hundreds of screenshots from the entire run of the series. You can see our stupid faces while we cry. And all of the songs from uh, the practice, the Broadway musical, have music videos that go along with them, which might give you a chuckle. So you can find us on YouTube, uh, search for K&M Entertainment, or just search for the Out of Practice podcast, I'm sure you'll be able to find us. If not, uh, please enjoy the finale of the Out of Practice podcast. Back in high school, each Sunday night, I'd watch the practice with none of my friends. I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald With your host, Keith Varney. And Mustachio Mucketiglio. Way back in high school, most every night. My mom watched QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo, what could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat, then stream it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the series finale of the Out of Practice Podcast. Also known as, can two 40-year-old men cry on camera? (laughs) And welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which... Me, I'm Keith Barney, and my buddy, Mike Indeglio, we discussed David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, we are up to, uh, we're out, we're done. That's it. This is our series finale, and uh, if you're wondering how many times we're going to cry, I already had to restrain myself during the theme song. Yeah. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Me too, me too. Uh, you know, I don't think it's any secret that... Uh, we had feelings about season seven and uh, a little bit eight. of s- season eight. Yeah. And uh, senioritis kicked in and it was a whole bunch of things. But it's been a few weeks for us since we've recorded one of these podcasts. And in that time, distance has made the heart grow fonder. I've missed it. I've been overly excited about this episode. And then just as we started it, I realized it's done. Like the thing we set out to do, we did it which in our line of work is, yeah. is so rare to happen. And uh, yeah, man, I'm feeling away. I'm so excited. Keith has cooked up so many surprises for all of you listening. I have been away uh, working on one of the hardest things I've ever had to do professionally, um, which I didn't expect, but it has become that. And in I haven't been able to be as uh, helpful in any way, shape, or f- form <laughs> for this finale. And Keith has been busting his butt, so I... Uh, before we even start, I'm so thankful, Keith, that you've shouldered that burden so that we could celebrate with our our listeners and our and our fans and just one another, fans of the show, fans of this show, people who've come along and joined our family, which we just 
uh, are just overly grateful for. Pe- regulars who have written in every week, people who've bounced in and bounced out, people who are way back. We got a couple emails from people who are just yeah. just starting the journey. Uh, so uh, for those of you who've made it, maybe years after we recorded this, you're still a part of the team, part of the family. We're so thankful for you, and uh, I'm excited to jump in, Keith. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm. I'm okay. I'm. A, I'm a little wistful, like you said, but I'm. I'm very excited that we have. This is going to be a colossal episode. There's a. We have so much to discuss. We have fun little things. We have. I have old clips, and this week our biggest piece of excitement is we are going to be debuting. Songs from the practice the Broadway musical did not get to Broadway. So uh mm-hmm. going to be very exciting. So uh at the end of the episode, we're gonna we're gonna be debuting those as we talk through each of the characters. To so, be fair, Keith, to be fair, yes. it's not that it didn't debut, they just at the last minute uh changed the whole cast and made it a different musical. Right, right. No, exactly. They decided, you know what, uh this, but make it wicked. <laughs> completely different. So I I think that's sort of what they did. It was about that about that time period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think let's dive into some filings and subpoenas. We got some we got some really nice emails. And um, if you didn't send it in time, or if you're listening to this in two years, you can still email us at outofpracticepodcast at gmail We will still be reading them. We're still there. Yeah. We will still be checking it, um, and we're still really excited to hear from you. Mostly uh, even though we, we won't be able we, to respond. We didn't think forward enough to realize that we shouldn't have made our email address the name of this podcast in the event that we have other podcasts and we want to use that email for accounts. So now this podcast will live in infamy because we need to use the email address. Oh, no, yeah, no, for sure. For all of our subsequent shows, we're getting our own damn emails so that we don't continue to fight on air about whether we mark things as unread or not. <laughs> should we Should we, Should we? we discuss that analogy on air? Is that worth? No, maybe a different time, a different place? <laughs> I forget even what it was. It had to do with poop, but, uh, surprisingly. Uh, shockingly. Yeah. Well, what do you say, one last time, we throw up a little segment we call... I have an email here from a uh, new-to-us friend, because I don't think we've ever heard from them, uh, but we we heard from uh, Minakshi Abi, who wrote in about our series finale, uh, who has been listening this whole time, and uh, I didn't even know. So uh, here it goes. Mike and Keith, thank you so much for your dedication and hard work in keeping up this weekly podcast through the crazy pandemic, issues around the world, an election, an insurrection, and all the changes in your own life. I started to binge watch the practice during the pandemic, but I never watched it before or even had an interest before. I also did not seek out podcasts for most shows that I watched during the pandemic, but the practice was different. And of course, that led me to the Out of Practice podcast. Well, of course it did, because we're the only one, as far as I know. But if you have another one, let us know. I'm excited. Uh, I don't exactly remember which season or episode led me to look for a podcast, but I'm so glad I found it. In the beginning, I mostly skipped ahead to the review of the episode. Naturally. Nailed it. Then I started to listen to you watching the episode, and finally, I looked forward to listening to what was going on in your life back then, and also what was happening when you recorded the podcast. At some point, even though I was getting disappointed in the show, I kept watching and listening to you because I enjoyed it, and I was hoping that this would continue with Boston Legals, fingers crossed. 
Frankly, looking forward to your podcast and review of the show kept me watching the practice till the series finale. That is so exciting and uh, is exhibit one when Hulu sues us. <laughs> A few things about the show. I think the last season, though it had some good episodes and cases, could have been done so differently. They could have weaved James Spader into the cast, but still given the main cast strong storylines and cases. Yes. Uh, as for the rest of the show before the last season, I'm having a hard time remembering what happened each season, the issue with binge watching. So will we, the issue with old Mad Cow. See, that's a, that's a Boston legal reference. Uh, but the moment I remember feeling very disappointed was season six. If you remember, season five ended with Richard's death and how it shook the whole firm, including Helen. I was so excited by the end and could not wait for season six to start and see how it would roll over and at least have some effect on the dynamics. I do not remember it making any difference. It was like Richard's death never happened. Perhaps they did such a good job in the final episode of season five that the beginning of season six was such a letdown. Even though I continued to enjoy some episodes and stories and the amazing acting, I don't think I ever got over this, so much so that I'm writing about this now as you finish the podcast. Maybe I will go back and watch those few episodes again to see if I remember it correctly. I think you do. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very fair criticism. They're like, ah, oh, we, you know, eh, we killed Bay. We had like a thing. And then like, wait, who's Bay? I forgot. There's a Alan Lowe's here. Uh, anyway, so thank you so much once again for a great podcast i hope you see a boston legal or other david e kelly series podcast soon i also hope i get to watch either of you perform live one day take care minakshi well uh if if you can get yourself to upstate new york you can see mike and deglio performing gomez adams in the adams family uh tonight yeah yeah tonight 7 30 uh, we have tonight, tomorrow, right. and then one last weekend, and then she's 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 back in the books, baby. There. Well, uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, I was I was oddly touched, and 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 I think the the turn there that that somehow uh, went from listening to the show to listening to our nonsense. I don't know if that speaks well for anybody's mental health, but it made me feel good. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also heard from Scott Simmons, and you mentioned. Uh, Somebody watching way back who probably won't hear what I'm going to read now for like two years. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, so Scott says, Keith and Mike, congratulations on reaching the final episodes of The Practice. I'm way behind you on this path, headed into Ally McBeal crossovers the next time I queue up the podcast. Earlier this, that's way back in season two or three. Wow. Earlier this summer, my wife reminded me how excited I'd been for the practice back in the early days of our dating. That led us to starting a rewatch on Hulu and to me discovering Out of Practice. I discovered the practice on late night syndication earlier in the millennium. I could catch an episode at 1 o'clock a.m. and another episode from a different season at 2 a.m. New episodes were in the fifth season at the time, so I started watching the show by watching three different seasons, kind of concurrently, over broadcast TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, world has changed. Uh, uh, during those heady days, my wife-to-be had a go at running her own one-woman floral design and event company in greater L.A., after contracting out to design a couple of bouquets for the David E. Kelly office, she picked up a headshot of Dylan McDermott and stuck it in a Mylar sleeve in her truck. The plan is, if she ever ran into him, was to ask him to sign it for me to Scott from one handsome SOB to another. Alas, it wasn't to be. Yet, Scott, yet, 
I, I still think there's a chance. Uh, he continues, we're currently watching our way through the practice together on Hulu. D watched only season eight uh, and has never seen the episodes prior to Alan Shore. It's been a delight to watch her discover the original iteration of the show. And listening to you guys riff on the episodes and work through them is a blast. I'm holding out hope you'll announce a follow-up Boston Legal podcast. I don't know, maybe on the Patreon. Uh, because 140 more episodes of this one doesn't seem like enough. Now, Scott. You say that now, Scott. You say that now. I think you're in season two. There's You personally have another 120 episodes of us. I don't know if you're still going to want that uh, at this point, but uh, but maybe maybe when you're hearing this, you'll be like, I do want that Boston Legal podcast. We'll see. But even if you don't, he continues, you fought the good fight. I'd give you the speech, but after eight seasons of the practice, I have a feeling you've heard the speech plenty. We have. Mm-hmm. Thanks for a rollicking good time. I look forward to seeing what's already played out for y'all come to pass in my earbuds over the year or two to come. Will I learn the secrets of Tom Brady? Mm. Will you ever address the fact that Oliver Platt was the original intended star of the show? And why the character of Bobby Donald takes such a hard, uh, long time to fit it into Dylan McDermott's rumpled suits and all? I was exactly this old before I knew that. Mm-hmm. And that makes it's so much sense in those first two seasons. I think they were using Oliver Platt's costumes uh, that that Bobby was. It makes a lot of sense. That's Remember the so big fat ties and the oversized suits? We called them Steve Harvey suits when the, all this time they were Oliver Platt suits. Mm, totally. And you know what? I would hundred percent watch that. I think yeah. Oliver Platt is one of the most like watchable actors out there. Hundred uh, percent. Obviously, a very different take on the character. Fascinating. Okay. Well, I we're, we weren't going to address it, but now we did. Uh, and and uh, continuing, are you as fixated on whether or not Joey Herrick will appear on the spinoff Fleet Street as I was? I don't even know what that is either. We talked about that. Fleet uh, Street was the was the, uh, the 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 potential spinoff they had discussed. Other than Meatball and Meatball, right. Boston Legal, and Eleanor's mm-hmm. show. Oh, uh, Fleet Street was Eleanor's, Eleanor's thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. All right. That would have been something. Are you hungry for news on the Eleanor sitcom that will sadly never come to be? Will you write a bumper more satisfying to butcher than the bangings, filings, and subpoenas? Nope. We're going to write a lot of bumpers. There's going to be a lot of nonsense coming. In fact, stay tuned, folks, in this episode. I'm so excited. There's a lot. So excited. Uh, I think there's like six or seven. (laughs) Um, Only time and roughly 300 more hours of listening to you to reminisce about the 90s and early 2000s will tell. Literally. At least I'll know I'll get to hear the hockey fight story one day. Yes, in our feed. Mm -hmm. I I I think only my family listened to it, but they were so into it. Thanks for hanging in there and making the donuts on this project. It's a real treat. Scott Simmons. Scott, thank you. Thank you so much for that. In fact, Scott, Uh, as, as a parting gift... Should you make it mm. through the next 200 hours and arrive here at the finale, or listen to it early, mm-hmm. uh, which you may do. He's probably going to listen to it early. Yeah. Here's, I'll, I'll do you one better. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give mm. you something you didn't know you wanted. Go ahead and send us an email at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. You already did. Give us your mm-hmm. address, buddy. Uh, go ahead and uh, send over that Dylan McDermott headshot. Better than Dylan signing it. Me and Keith will throw our Johnny Hancocks on it. 
<laughs> and we'll send it right back to you, buddy. Because uh, everybody knows that's what you really wanted all along and didn't even know ha- it. Have you have you ever uh, diminished the value of a piece of cardboard? Did you know it was even possible to diminish <laughs> the value of an eight and a half by a eight, eight by ten black and white headshot? I'm assuming it was probably a black and white headshot back in, back then. No, because then when uh, he eventually wow. gets it signed by Dylan, he's Dylan McDermott's gonna be like, mm-hmm. "Who are these two assholes?" Well, a hundred percent. If he hasn't sued us, oh, so. Uh, but I, I can't believe we haven't. We 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 never got our C and D. I mean, I got one from Angela Lansbury. I can't believe David E. Kelly never sent me one. Yet. Uh, but before before we close up filings and subpoenas, uh, we uh, perhaps have one more from uh, who really went all out. Mike, are, are you ready to hear from self-moderator, possibly Tom Brady, possibly Cloud Lover 69 possibly your mom, Phoenix Cage? My friends, it's me, Phoenix. Yeah, it is. Today, I have a this day in the basement. When you said that the air date of the final episode was May 16th, 2004, that immediately sounded familiar. Because it's the day that I graduated from college. But just like Bobby Donnell, uh, the end of the final episode, I didn't show up. I chose not to walk because I'm just not one for ceremony. It's very Phoenix. But I did show up today. On brand. Because it's important that we all be together as we graduate from this podcast and collect our TV law degrees. (laughs) Oh, I want one of those. We're not actually together. We are. Look, we're right here. You don't have any guests on the podcast. 100% 100% true. Keith made up the rule against having guests, mm-hmm. but who made up the rule against having listeners? <laughs> oh, Zing, shots burn. fired. Shots fired. Let's talk about the ending. In that final episode, Jimmy became his neighborhood lawyer, Eugene became a judge, and Eleanor became unemployed. Mm-hmm. Self unemployed. Okay. Here's my rewrite. I would have Eleanor team up with Lindsay and work on the Innocence Project. Love that. Together, they could work to overturn false convictions based on new DNA evidence. It was 2004. This was blowing up. I love up. that. That would have been perfect. She, she could have been at home with her daughter while doing all the legal footwork to get all these people out of prison. Hey. Uh, it's no Richard Bay Force Ghost, but I think it would have made for a pretty good ending, I, don't you? Forget ending. I want that. I want that spinoff. Of course, Lindsay. Lindsay's a convicted murderer. After studying eight seasons eh. of TV law, what have I learned? I've learned that you don't have to have the law on your side to win. You just need to be able to persuade a jury to take your side yeah. in spite of the law. You know who I learned that from? Keith. Keith showed me that it's possible to often be persuasive Mm. while seldom being right. Yeah, that's my brand. I've also learned (laughs) that you can impress people by punctuating your sentences with your first and last name, Phoenix Cage. Mike and Diglio. 
watching us live now. We appreciate you. We love you. But there's only one. There's been one consistent, Keith. Aside from our mm. inconsistency, there's been one other consistency, and it's been yes. one human being. You know, there's an old saying. Let me let me let me go at it this way. There's an old saying that I, I heard long ago, and it said, "Find the person who listens to the 600 hours of podcasting you do in its entirety and marry that person." <laughs> I never expected this to be proposed to over a podcast. <laughs> what will I wear? Oh my God. Will Keith perform the ceremony? Hell yeah, I will. Will you have Jen give you away? I, I, I should be, I'm sure she'd be happy to. I was Catholic. expecting this. I'm a Taoist. How will we raise our cats? I, that's true. Uh, Mike, I'm going to have to think about mm, this one. No, I think that's. <laughs> Hilarious. I was waiting for that response. I was wondering where you were going with that, too. Mm -hmm. When you said that, like, where are you? Oh. <laughs> Man, he really went for it. I'm gonna, I really love this oh guy. Oh, my God. That's. Is that a little one? Where'd you get all those fans? <laughs> I hope you didn't buy those. We don't have enough in the empire to afford it. <laughs> That's like a, like a $400 budget for the fans. Oh, my God. Phoenix, uh, I, I give you the one fan salute. I don't know what else to say about all of that. That's brilliant. Uh, you know, obviously, Phoenix, you've been with us this whole time, and uh, we very much appreciate um, all of that. And uh, you have a good setup. Yeah, it really look looks great. good. Lighting great, camera mm -hmm. great. That was, that was a really good setup. So, uh all right. Well, folks, that is filings and subpoenas so far. You can still email us at a practice podcast at gmail.com and on Facebook and Instagram at out of practice podcast. We will still be there. Don't worry. And, and we'll be dropping some of the uh, stuff we've shown today up onto those feeds. So, Mike, do you know, uh, you know what we do at this point in the show, right? Yeah. It's, how are we, uh, we going to handle this? in the basement. Well, uh, I think what we're going to do is this rest of your life. So, Mike, what happened in the rest of your life in the basement? <laughs> um, well, Keith, <laughs> I lived with you for a little while. I think I was just, we were just That's there. That's true. Uh, continued a, a, a career in the musical theater for the most part. I moved all about New York City, I ended up moving to Astoria, Queens, where I would spend the rest of my New York time uh, traveling the country, performing and working also for, uh, I, I joined a startup years later and I kind of grew with that company. I'm still with them today. I then moved to Philadelphia outside of New York, uh, where I am, well, except I'm currently Adam Zing, and then I will be back in Philly. And then uh, my wife, uh, she signed the papers, so I can say it. She will be rejoining the company. Oh, of, she's doing it. Oh, good. Yeah, Yiddish Fiddler on the Roof. Hell yeah. Uh, in the uh, one of the principal tracks, and so I think, depending on the success of that, it might uh, hasten my return to the New York metro area at some point, and uh, or New Jersey, who knows? And uh, I joined. A small fledgling podcast empire with my good friend and partner mm. Keith Varney, uh, with 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 many plans of world domination. But we're going to settle for uh, one listener who sends us really awesome videos uh, in response. <laughs> uh, 
And, uh, you know, along the way, we made a little bit of money, uh, and it was never about that. We made a lot of friends. We made uh, a lot of, and we and we ideated a lot of thoughts and, and exciting ideas for the future. So that's where we sit. I, I sit here humbled, excited, and really thrilled to be on the journey that I am on, and I'm thrilled to be on it with you, Keith, and all of you listening now, in the future, or not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Or not at all. That's how we punctuate everything. It's your Denny Crane. Well, uh, yeah, so this day in the rest rest of my life in the basement, let me see, starting at about now, uh, I was working at that job at NYU, got fired from it, wrote a musical, about being fired by it, a, a semi-autobiographical revenge musical, which uh, became a thing. We performed in New York, then uh, took it to uh, to South Korea. Well, Keith is a South huge Korea star. For 30 seconds. Oh, I, sh- I should have queued up the, com- the, uh, the Korean TV commercial for the show, but I didn't. Uh, yeah, so I, I basically continued acting for a few more years, but transitioned primarily to be a writer. A writer of musicals, a uh, writer of uh, plays and screenplays. I wrote a couple of novels. Um, I got married. I adopted Charlie too. Very important. And uh, as you said, began a podcasting empire with uh, Mr. Indeglio that began like this. Live from Broadway and 33rd Street in Queens. It's the Follow Spots Podcast. I love this theme song. your host, Russell and Mike. Two straight guys talking about Broadway. <laughs> Tonight, the Fall 2009 preview, part one. Michael will do a segment on superhero musicals, including a Spider-Man update. Spider-Man was happening. Headlines. And welcome to Follow Spot Podcast. Our audio quality was terrible. Podcast. We were in your living room. That's right. In yes. Queens. What's up? I'm I wasn't even using my real name. No, you were so embarrassed and, uh, you wouldn't even use your name. To, uh, <laughs> time out, time out, time out. First, we must discuss the awesome theme song that you, my friend, magically made. So awesome. that is well, how the podcast Empire began uh, with our little Broadway podcast. We made it about 20 episodes before we... Uh, Realized nobody cared, but we ended up doing some really fun stuff. Um, we interviewed a lot of other writers uh, at that point, and uh, that is available nowhere. Nowhere. It's funny it lives how on my Dropbox and nowhere else. We were five years too early because about five to ten years after that, all these Broadway podcasts blew up. Um, none of them quite had the special s- sauce we had, which was inviting young mm. up and coming writers and debuting some of their work. We really were ahead of our, like legitimately ahead of our time in that. I thought you were going to say our special sauce was incompetence, but no. But it, that is the the generation of the fact we don't want guests because what really kind of stifled that broadcast was that we had to like organize people coming over and we had to queue up their songs and we had to like have them over to Keith's house and Scheduling all schedule it. It just became a pain in the butt, and so we're like we're never doing that again. Uh, and it, that has proven to be uh, conducive to. 300 episodes of a podcast. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, okay, so uh, that's our rest of our life in the basement. So uh, I think it's time, Mike, I think we have a clip 
Uh, do you think we should, we should maybe 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 tuck in and listen to a clip from our show, a little, a little best of segment here? Oh yeah, Keith. <coughs> I, I owe you an I owe you an apology. For for what? You remember when you first said that you like took a shining to Lucy, and I yeah. made fun I made fun of you. Uh huh. Yeah, I apologize. Are are you finding that are you uh are you finding her a little shiny these days? Yeah, she she. She she, ha- she she make me happy. <laughs> oh, that might that literally might have distilled the most uncomfortable <laughs> moment in about eighty hours of recording. I stand so by far. that. <laughs> Nyquil Mike. The quote was: "She she 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 make me happy." <laughs> I'm not like I'm not even gonna play the bumper because Mike isn't thirsty. Mike is terrified. Uh. I think you might have killed that girl. You put her head in the bag, didn't you? Because she, she, she made you so happy you had to decapitate her and put her head in the bag. Just Mike laughing, and you're not allowed to cut this. Oh man, I lost it. Nyquil Mike. <laughs> Nyquil Mike also finds this way funnier than it should be. Well, oh, it's Mike a classic. Broke. Oh, it's a classic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Listen to that cool. broke Mike. So you could sell for. that as a laugh FX. Wow. That's good. <laughs> oh man, please tell me you're gonna cut out that when I just say she, she, she make me happy. Oh no, that is staying uh, in. Yeah. So that oh. <laughs> that was season two or season three. Uh, uh classic. Nyquil Mike. All right. So we only did a few episodes a little... at late night. We generally recorded in the morning, but there were a few late nighters that we we pulled. Yeah, our first season recap was like at 11 o'clock at night. I haven't ever listened to it back, but I bet it was terrible. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so I have, a, I have a fun little segment that I've done here uh, called Numbers. Okay. And I'm, I'm just going to throw out some, some numbers here about the practice uh, because I just find them interesting because I find numbers interesting. Uh, first off, 167. That is the number of episodes of The Practice. Uh, that is a, a ton mm-hmm. of episodes. The uh, You know who did more course, episodes? That adds up. Yeah, we did. We did. We'll get there. So uh, that 167 episodes of The Practice adds up to 7,348 minutes or 122 hours, mm-hmm. which is the running time of The Practice. 122 hours. There were, of course, 180 episodes of Out of Practice. There were, no, running time of the practice was 7,348. There were 20,880 minutes of Out of Practice, not counting this episode. Oh, no. Which is uh, 348 hours. And that's 14 and a half days. If you ran the Out of Practice podcast, just straight through, you would lose more than two weeks of your precious, precious life. That's 24-7. So, 24-7. 
if you just ran it all that, it would take two two weeks. Uh, 167 is also most episodes by a cast member. And that is Cameron and Steve each did 167, which is all of them. Uh, Michael had 166. Because you remember, Michael was not in the pilot. The most episodes by guest star is 44. Ray Brutzo, friend of the pod, did 44 episodes as a guest star. The judgiest judge uh, was Holland Taylor, who did 29 episodes, followed by Linda Hunt with 23. The prosecutiest guest prosecutor was, of course, Bill Smichovich as Kenneth Walsh, who did 22 episodes. The shortest run as a series regular was Kyler Lee as Claire Wyatt, who only did 10 episodes. Ron Livingston was in second, only did 12. Now, Mike, how? what do you think the record is for most different characters played by a single actor on the show is? <clears throat> I'm trying to remember because I remember the day we had to, you had to write a, a whole new jingle just to accommodate someone's third or fourth appearance. So I think we did, it's one more than that. So I'm going to say five. Ooh, very good. You are right. Gregory Itzen played five different characters on The Practice. The number 11 is the number of visits from Star Trek major characters, including William Shatner, John DeLancey, Rene Auberginois, Gates McFadden, Robert Picardo, Paul Dooley, Armin Shimmerman, Anton Yelchin, Michelle Hurd, Andrew Robinson, and John Billingsley. Uh, many of them were had not been cast in Star Trek yet. Uh, and uh, But basically... People have said that Boston Legal is basically a Star Trek spinoff. I think the practice is pretty close uh, as well. Uh, number of murders of perpetrated by or were impersonating nuns or priests. I lost count. Uh, but it was not good. If you were part of the Catholic Church, you were being murdered, doing murdering. Somebody was dressing up as you to murder somebody. There it is. So, uh, according to my quick count, which is not always accurate, 10 is the number of times main cast members were in mortal peril, including uh, Eleanor and the baby, Eleanor with Vogelman, Rebecca being blowed up, Lucy being blowed up, Lindsay being stabbed, Helen being uh, drugged by Vogelman, Bobby being abducted by a boy band and beaten up by The Walking Dead, Jimmy was shot, and of course, Jason Bay was, uh, not Jason Bay, uh, Richard, Richard Bay. Bay was murdered. 19 is the number of times a main cast member was arrested, um, as uh, by my count, which again, may be wrong. Jimmy was arrested for solicitation, calling a judge, Judge Judy. Helen was arrested for contempt. Uh, there were se she performed several murders, but was never arrested. Eugene uh, arrested for assault in the courtroom, contempt, fighting with Bay. Lindsay contempt, first degree murder. Eleanor contempt three times, drug possession, obstruction, concealing evidence, and first degree murder. Bobby murder of cops, contempt times three, and also first degree murder. There were fourteen. That's not even counting. Regulars. That's not even counting all the crimes Alan Shore had crimed. Oh, these are just being arrested. Mm, okay. I, I, there's no time in the world to to keep track of all their crimes. 
there were 14 series regulars throughout the series. And, Mike, how many credited guest stars do you think there were over the course of the entire run? It's got to be close to 300. There were 1,620 credited guest stars on the practice. Some of these had one line, but uh, 1,620. All right. So uh, lastly, I'm going to quickly just run you through all the Emmys that the practice did in a little segment I call it the Emmys. I didn't do a graphic for it or anything. Uh, the practice was nominated for 41 Emmys. It won 15 Actor winners include James Spader, William Shatner, Sharon Stone, Alfre Woodard, Charles S. Dutton, Michael Emerson, James Whitney, Whitmore, Bea Richards, Michael Badalucco, Holland Taylor, Edward Herman. Uh, in 1999, it won Outstanding Drama. Cameron Mannheim won, John Larroquette won, and 1998, it also won Outstanding Drama. It had seven Golden Globe nominees and three Golden Globe wins, including Dylan McDermott, Cameron Mannheim, and it won the Best television series drama once so uh there it is i was gonna do a, a superlatives thing but i didn't really write any did you write any superlatives mike uh no okay well there it is hold on the, but um, you know what we could the, do what we could do here keith uh you you weren't hmm. ready for this but i'm gonna ask you uh since we've been divulging some secrets uh, we've gotten a couple mm. of uh, emails, tweets, and things. Uh, in fact, one of the emails you read earlier that is really puzzled over the mystery of Tom Brady. You'll notice that Tom Brady is uh, unsurprisingly absent from this episode uh, because uh, for people who might be just be listening to the finale and haven't finished the podcast itself, uh, Tom retired. And I, I'm not sure yeah, if then did retire. if he was then fired or we killed him off or for some reason his character is now gone. Uh but Keith, he, he got spun off. Yeah, he, <laughs> I think it's time because it really is you. You really mm. uh, harbor the true fire uh, when it comes to Tom Brady. Mm. I'd like to give you this just brief moment to explain the mystery, if there is one, of to why you have such a disdain for Tom Brady, and we've just mocked him endlessly when many consider him to be the greatest football player who ever played the game. Well, he he is the greatest football player to ever play the game. Uh, he also is... Uh, okay, there's, there's a bunch of things going on. A, like, he, he doesn't seem like a great guy, just personally. Uh, he, I, I, I have to... Uh, if, if, you're, if you got a MAGA hat, I'm not thinking you're a good guy. And, uh, and you know, among many other things. But more importantly than that, the real reason that I don't like Tom Brady is he's boring to watch play football. The Patriot when he was playing for the Patriots, Patriots games were boring to me. Uh, I think in a lot of ways because they always won. They all their 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 game plan was always just like laser precise but never that particularly interesting. Didn't like the uniforms. I don't like the I don't like the AstroTurf. I don't like their stadium. They were on all the time. I'm just tired of watching Tom Brady and Belichick play for the Patriots. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and everybody's just sick of him winning because, uh, you know, it's just boring. Another another Super Bowl where Tom Brady wins, I'm bored. Okay. So beyond all of your uh, 
personal political beliefs or being shitty in lots of different ways, the worst thing you can do is be boring in football, uh, in my personal opinion. So there you go. I was not expecting to have to do a diatribe on why Tom Brady's garbage. No, but you but, know, uh, that's exhibit A now for when we are sued by the Tom Brady estate because we have by m- Tom Brady. mercilessly well, mocked him on this show. Well, uh, you know what's not boring? Getting a C and D from Tom Brady. No, that's cool. So there you are. You want to know what else is not boring, Mike? Uh, per- perhaps, perhaps we have another clip. <laughs> da, 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 da. Keith, you know what it's time for? Most. No, give me the right. No. Give me the right key. I'm gonna. God damn it! I'm gonna give it a try. Most valuable. <laughs> I had to flip it. I had to fucking flip it. <laughs> no one could do that. <laughs> Let's see if I was right. I might be wrong. No, I was right. Okay. Most valuable. Why can't Lord? <laughs> that face. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Guys, I want everybody to know that I am. I really try. <laughs> All right, wait. Hold on. One more. One more. One more. <laughs> he really thought he could do it. He really thought he could do it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to hurt myself. Breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> oh, my God. Most valuable I can't even breathe enough I to quit. laugh. <laughs> I quit. I, I, I <laughs> oh, well, enjoy the new version of that bumper forever. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look, it how was. Good, look how good we look, though, man. We had a great little YouTube moment. Yeah, we did. You know, we had a little thing. Uh. There, uh, we're, we slowly got better at this. Yeah. Slowly. M- marginally. Until the last Slowly finale episode where I'm in a, like a remote desert or a farm with donkeys outside with a green screen, of course. It's all going to look great when we put it all together. Do you remember there was a whole like all eight, right. eight, seven weeks, six weeks where I was recording the whole podcast remotely, like from hotels and stuff because I was on tour? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but we weren't doing video at that point. Yeah, thank God. Because we, we only started doing video in season three. It was season four, I thought. Uh, before we bailed on it. I think it was three. Well, it could have been four. I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, I think it was. It was either three or four when we did the first one. I think I was in Cape May during the mm-hmm. during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and our our first ones, yeah, were just just audio. It's so rudimentary yeah. when you really think about it now. But uh, there we are. All right, now it's time for a segment uh, I call the top fives. I was going to do top ten, but that's just way too much work. Yeah, it was a lot. So it was too much as it was. We're gonna so. We, I know, right? So uh, we have uh, done, independently, we don't know what each other's answers, uh, the top five of a couple of categories, beginning with top five best guest actor. So uh, sh- do you want to go first? Let me, let me find my list. Or, or should we do five, 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 four, four, three, three? Sure, I have them in sort of like a uh, nebulous order. Um, I would say first, right. I have a question. Before we even start, we're okay. starting with guest actors. Are we counting Holland yes. Taylor as a guest? Mm-hmm. We are. Yes, because it, yes, 
if if you are if you were not in the opening credits, you are technically a guest actor. I think she was billed as a special guest actor, mm-hmm. but still a guest actor. So she's in your list then, is what you're saying. She's in my list. That's right. Okay. I have to do some work then. Hold on. Okay. All right. Why don't you well, go first? Let's start with number work. five here. Well, uh, well, first off, I want to just l- make a quick list of some of the faces we saw on the show who did not, uh, some of the famous folks who did not make sure. my list, including Viola Davis, Bruce Davidson, John Larroquette, Michael Emerson, William Shatner, Chris O'Donnell, Ingenue Ellis, Billy Gardell, Ed Asner, Tony Danza, Sharon Stone, Patrick Dempsey, Henry Winkler, Betty White, John Hawks, John C. McGinley, Lisa Edelstein, CCH Pounder, Dylan Baker, Richard Schiff, Kim Ragnar, Elizabeth Moss, Titus Welliver, Richard Thomas, Len Carew, Donnie Wahlberg, Kevin Dunn, David Ogden Steers, Mark Shepard, John Cryer, Leslie Moonves, Taryn Manning, Roger Corman, Emmy Rossum, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Larry King, Billy Campbell, Christopher Reeve, Rosie O'Donnell, Nick Offerman, Daniel Day Kim, Clark Gregg, Chelsea Handler, Andy McDowell, Jeff Perry, Donna Murphy, Ken Marino, Bill Mosley, Gina Gershon, Ron Silver, Lawrence O'Donnell, Christopher Daniels, The Wrestler. Mike, did you know Christopher Daniels, The Wrestler, was on the show? I didn't know that, no. Dakota Fanning, Andrew Brower, and John Ashcroft. All right, so those are some of the folks we had to pick from. So uh, are you ready now? So there's one, yeah, there's one you didn't put on your your honorable mentions list, <clears throat> everybody else you covered. Well, that's not, that, that's not my honorable mention. Those are just famous people. Oh, okay, great. So so, let, so let's do our honorable, honorable mentions then first. Official. I just have like one official one because I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get her on the list, and that's Marley Matlin. Uh because mm. but she is represented in one of my best episodes. So um Okay. So my honorable mentions are Edward Herman, Marley Matlin, like you said, Bea Richards, William Shatner, Bill Smitrovich, right. Al Alfrey Woodard, Anthony Held, James Whitmore, and Michael Monks. Ooh, okay. Are my honorable mentions. Okay. All right. So, Mike, who's your number five best guest? Actor. Keith, my number five is going to be Alfrey Woodard. I thought that episode mm. uh, touched me. And I think looking back, and, and this is how I kind of had to do it because I was a little pressed for time. And I started to like go down the rabbit hole of Googling and trying to remember some of the, the top. And I said, you know what? Let me just start jotting down what I remember the most. And I remember... That performance, I remember raving about it, and I I, I couldn't shake it. And so, um, it, and it also, I think, what needs to be, what I remembered about that performance was how potentially uh, cartoony it could have been, right? In the, in the grand kind mm-hmm. of tone of the show and, and where things have gone often. I thought it could have gotten out of control, but it never was. It was There was a compassion it, it, in her portrayal, in her sort of descent into madness, and uh, it stuck with me. And so number five on my mm-hmm. list is Alfre Woodard. Yeah. No, I think, it's, I think it's a great choice. And I think I, the thing I would add to that is, you know, with your – like it could have easily been bad and gone off the rails – but she was able to restrain it, and and the word of that was dignity. Mm. She was able to like maintain the dignity as an actor, but also the character through that crazy arc. So my number five is 
Hakuna Matata, Ernie Sabella, um, who uh, I thought had a, you know, he did three episodes, four episodes, and I thought his performance was just so, you know, sometimes silly, but also sometimes incredibly heartfelt and heartbreaking. He, he as a character and as an actor moved me uh, in the episodes that he was in. So Ernie Sabella is my top number five best guest actor. Number four, Michael. Number four for me, Keith, another performance that I thought showed a great deal of dignity, a great deal of range, and also a bravado that at the time stood toe-to-toe with Dylan McDermott's Bobby Donnell, which was had its own uh, bravado. And that is the one of the seminal performers of our time, James Whitmore. Uh, just an mm. absolute powerhouse, tour de force, uh, and just... You want to talk about heartbreaking. Uh, and some of those scenes just absolutely rips your heart out, rips your guts out. And uh, But then uh, when he would do his closes, when he was in the courtroom and had to make the, the switch uh, to the Raymond Oz, really, really special, mm. really magical. I always, I, it sticks with me. Could have made a vie for the top three, uh, but I went a different way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, agreed. And I'm, I'm going to talk more about Whitmore and his arc in my uh, best arcs. Uh, so my number four is, of course, Holland Taylor, uh, who was spectacular when given great material and somehow still good when she was given hot nonsense. Um, because uh, sometimes they treated her as just judge of the week. Sometimes they made her scratching out Lindsay's picture like a lunatic and making people pop erections from the other side of the room. And then other times she was this incredibly grounded, um, I guess I guess the word I would use for Holland Taylor, especially with her scenes with Jimmy, is just riveting. Like she's, she's very interesting to watch. There's always something going on. You don't always know what it is. Sometimes it's a mystery, but she's an incredibly watchable uh, actor and has is grounded through the floor Mm. and uh holland taylor is my number four mike who's your number three well i'm gonna cheat keith uh i decided to lump together two actresses who you (laughs) you just spoke about um who were often portrayed as just judge of the week but often also had to play arbiter uh, had to play mm-hmm. uh, a, a balance of some of the other characters' faults. I think I think Linda Hunt, who's on my uh, in this combo here, had to mm-hmm. at sometimes be Bobby's conscience, be Bobby's mother figure. Uh, really, kind of was yeah. a parental role for Bobby. And then Holland, like you said, I think we discussed this on the podcast. I'm sure we did. This was not a time. I think this this show aired just before sort of a more uh, honest portrayal of uh, women aging on television. And Mm. I I loved that they were able to use Holland Taylor at a more mature part of her career, still with a sex, uh, uh, owning her sexuality, owning the power of her sexuality, weaponizing it at times, yes, in some goofy plot lines, but, you know, it's like a bell curve. Let go the top and the bottom, right? She... Uh, and then, as you mentioned, her her arc with Jimmy and I think 
that that comes up on my uh, my arcs as well. I think that it was something that could have just could have been a comedic beat, and though at times was <laughs> yes, uh, was also re- <laughs> for sure was was really beautiful in moments as well. And so uh, for all of those reasons and many more, just to save time, I'm combining my number three best guest actors on the practice as Linda Hunt and Holland Taylor as just the 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 patrons of the robe. Yep. No, I, I I think that's I think that's great. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Not patrons, um, matriarchs I'm of with the you. robe. Yes. So uh, my number three, you know, it's funny because sometimes we're pulling best you know guest actors who did twenty episodes, and some of them just did one, and some of them, uh, this one is on there for one scene, mm. just one scene, and that is Charles S. Dutton for his uh, for his scene. Uh, in his uh, 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 parole hearing and the staggering performance he gives in that parole hearing um, that is just so powerful and so like the gravitas that he is able to give to that. I will always remember, I I see the image of this tear streaking down his face and uh, he won an Emmy for it, so I'm not like alone in thinking that that was uh, spectacular. But just that that one scene, if I if I had to show like a five minute clip of what the guest acting could be, uh, that and maybe Marley's performance would be the one that would be like, look at that shit. Uh, so Charles S. Dutton, my number three. Mike, who's your number two? Oof, <clears throat> it's tight at the top, Keith. Uh, but I'm gonna say it's is pretty impressive when you can come off the bench, uh, get a role on TV, and it's and it had been a long time since he had a role, and sort of had decided at this part in his career he was going to embrace the sort of self-seriousness and the self... Uh, uh, mm. Self... Uh, uh, Self-parody. Parody. Or a- and accept that and embrace it in his sort of persona, but also uh, take the opportunity to flip the script and create an entirely new character and do it with such finesse that you almost don't recognize what's happening. I talked about it on the podcast. I won't go overboard here, but Shatner, not only wow. he, he plays, yes, a buffoonish type, very commedia de arte type character on the show, but if you're watching, he's also playing against his own type, his brand, his Shatner type. He's playing really specific uh, beats. Uh, he plays off Spader very well. He's able to, uh, like we talked about with Raymond Oz, he's able to turn it on in the courtroom. And even for those few episodes where he had like a dementia arc, he really kind of knew, uh, he, he layered that in. I... I know Boston Legal is heralded. I know that everybody uh, wants us to cover it. The show is is was more, pro- more more popular than the practice, obviously. But I think that his work in the practice, the sort of blueprint that he's building episode by episode, as you see the creation of a character that will go on to star in this show, is fascinating from both uh, a storytelling perspective, but also as someone people who are who have done the work. Uh, I can, I'm sorry, to, I'm not turning it to myself, but trying to like take, I'm trying, I'm playing Gomez Adams On this right now. podcast? Never. Yeah. 
And and trying Ooh. to take such a well-known character and make it your own is so difficult uh, with an established property, an IP. But to have to do it on the fly, like Shatner was, with with no source material and sort of build it from the ground up, watching that is just well, fascinating. And, and- and the well-known character he is recreating is himself. Yeah. Yeah. It's William Shatner. <laughs> it's really it's really just on so many levels, even a meta level, just fascinating. And so it, it, it could have easily been the top spot, but it's number two for me because I think there's one, one just a little better. Uh, but William Shatner is my number two. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I I like it. I I I'm I'm with you. Uh, my number two is uh, kind of the opposite. It's Michael Emerson. It's our 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 fabulous William Hinks, uh, who, you know, it, sometimes it spun out and got a little silly. But Michael Emerson came in like if before we went back and did this, and I had to uh, you know look look back on the show that I'd seen fifteen years ago. That I didn't really quite remember really any of it, um, other than the the character dynamics. The the one thing I did remember was Michael Emerson as as William Hanks. That he gave such an iconic performance, and now Michael Emerson has been playing this a version of that for the next twenty years. It made him a star. He came out of nowhere, and uh, I think was the centerpiece of. Well, you know, I, spoiler alert, possibly the best episode of The Practice. And um, did, uh, and was just iconic. Michael Emerson, guys. It's William Hanks. Yeah, Michael, and also number- he was, so much was asked of him, right? I mean, what was asked of his character is such a wide arc that it's almost impossible to bite off. But he did. Well, and 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 we talked about it a lot. And he never lost his head, Never lost his head. He, well, he did lose his head. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was it was a, it was a little frozen. Uh, but but yeah, I mean that that first episode where he's playing a person, he he's he's telling the truth as a lie to convince people that he was lying. It's 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 very. It was just such a great performance. Anyway, I think it's time for number one. I I. I'm wondering, I bet we have the same number one. Mike, go for it. Look, it, it if I had to, if you had, if you gave me but 60 seconds <clears throat> to expound the virtues of the practice to someone in passing, the elevator pitch, uh, I would pitch the arc involving uh, John Larroquette. I, I just, everything he does he at some at times he plays a conniving criminal mastermind and other times he's playing just a sheer batman villain who appears on screens to like give funny ma- it doesn't matter right. how ridiculous how serious or how stupid the twisty twist at the end every second that john Larroquette is on the screen is to be savored it is like a fine fine dessert that you just want to just eat so slowly so you get every minute of it i loved just going back and watching little bits of episodes to remember them and just seeing him on screen and and especially that first episode he's in the first time he he pulls mm-hmm. he pulls a fast one on the crew which spoiler alert may appear Betrayal. may appear yep. may appear on my list uh just no no one did it better <laughs> there was no better guest star on the practice 
I wish he had appeared on Boston Legal. I wish he had his own show. I wish that the character had had a better send-off, but maybe not. Actually, it's kind of the perfect, it's sort of the perfect ending the way they wrote him off. So, uh, John Larroquette. Yeah. Yeah, what you said. I mean, I mean, you know, Larroquette's performance on that, it's it's scene-chewy, it's ridiculous, and yet it's still grounded, it still had stakes. Um, you know, and I, I think, I think maybe that's the, cause, you know, cause, cause we, we beat up on season eight so much because it, it goes into this sort of silly place. It's not, it's not that I don't care about si- like uh, that I can't deal with silly. It's just, you have to have stakes mm-hmm. and be silly. And and with Larry Kett's character, it was silly, but there were still stakes. Like it still mattered. It, you know, you, you, you didn't just like. It, it wasn't a Warner Brothers cartoon where like somebody blows up and they just dust themselves off and they're fine. Um, it, so yeah, it also wasn't subtle satire, but but satirical nonetheless. You know, Phoenix mentioned it earlier. We've talked about it on the podcast, I, and I think Phoenix actually, thank you so much again for your message. Really distilled down perfectly. I think what you and I would agree is one of the main messages that we take away from this show, which was it's not about. Mm. Justice isn't always, at least our system of justice, isn't about being right. It's about convincing these people that you're right, or at least to feel sorry for you. It's about persuasion. Yeah, and there's no better character who encapsulated that than Joey Herrick, who basically was the living embodiment of persuasion and getting away with it, the loophole, and and having that hubris about him that— made you love him and hate him and was the perfect foil for what we were doing and trying to defend as defense attorneys. Absolutely brilliant. Right. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, before our next segment, we're going to talk about the best episodes of the practice. Uh, uh, but before we do, I think we got another clip. I don't think you're well suited to being a black widow. No, it's true, although I have been accused of intercoursing my fair share of ladies right to death. <laughs> or wait, maybe that was just the death of their interest in my intercourse. I don't know, one of the two. <laughs> you you know what would help me with that? What's that? Viagra. You should ask your doctor about it today. It's available online for $11. No, $11 was the... $23 is the Propecia. Oh. But how much was the Viagra? I didn't actually investigate the Viagra because I don't need it, y'all. You didn't care very, what it costs. I get a very hard dick. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, boy. How much are you regretting having brought that up in the first place? <laughs> maybe very is not. Maybe relatively is probably the term we're looking for at 40. I got a relatively hard dick. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't like hammering a nail with it, but it, you know, it stands up. According to the trees, they're looking over you. Oh my god. We can still get murdered too. Oh god, we're, 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 we're missing this plot point here. It's like one of those metal slinkies, but it's, you know, it's after you've used it for like three to four, three or four years. It like, it works, but I would So when it flops over, it gets like four feet long? Yeah. But it's useless. <laughs> it just kind of flops down and the definitely stairs. Definitely not as fun as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, we really, we really wow. nailed that. Classy. Yeah, that's so classy. Uh, wow, wow. All right. So. Oh wow. Best episodes. Okay. All right. So. Uh, yeah. All right. So. Uh, yeah. I guess I, I have six. 
us. And I, I didn't necessarily rank them. I didn't but, uh, either. You know, Let's, I'm just going to rank them on the fly. Yeah, I'm just going to read them in random order. But these are just – and once again, I think specifically – we talked about a little about this before we went on air – is uh, these are more just like ones we remembered fondly. I, I, when I know that there's going to be some on your list, and I'm like, oh, my God, of course. That's my favorite episode. But these are just ones that as I was skimming through, I – was like, they're just the ones that made my list. So here are just an assortment of 10 episodes that Keith and Mike liked. <clears throat> I'm going to start, Keith. All right. I'm going to start. Yeah. Let's just, we'll go back and forth a while. I'm going to start with yeah, uh, yeah. one of my favorites. Uh, it was from season four, episode 22, Life Sentence. It was the season finale, I believe, or mm. I believe it was the season finale. In a difficult and emotional trial, Jimmy and Eleanor represent a deaf woman charged with killing the man who raped and murdered her seven-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, Lindsay and Bobby continue to crawl over wedding plans, and Lindsay, de- Lindsay decides to surprise him with an elopement at, uh, by, in front of the green monster at Fenway at Park. Fenway. I thought it was... You and I had differing opinions about the Bobby-Lindsay romance, but you'll recall I absolutely <laughs> just loved that season finale. I loved... I got choked up. About them, they brought the the Irish priest who would come to factor into other cases to mm-hmm. to marry them, and let's not forget, uh, it was also an amazing last case. Um, uh, mm. It was that was the Marley Matlin episode, and it was just uh, just a tour de force performance, um, and it was once again a jury nullification situation um, that uh, maybe yeah. maybe didn't go the way we saw it going. So uh, it was. It was. A, it was. It was. It it checked all the boxes for me. Great season finale, a great what I thought was high point for the romance, and a great guest artist or guest artist guest actor and a twisty twist that I didn't see coming. That makes for a great episode of the practice. That's life sentence season four episode twenty two. Okay, uh, yeah, great choice. Uh, so my first choice is going to be Spirit of America which is one that I thought was spectacular. It's not really that well-reviewed on IMDb. People weren't... This This was the Death Row uh, mockumentary. It wasn't a mockumentary. It was a fake documentary case where uh, we're, we're trying to get somebody on Death Row and we have our sort of talking heads where Jimmy's like... Um, you know, he starts out as like, dumb, dumb, kill him, Jimmy, and then he does the turn. We have an amazing performance from Cameron uh, on that. And uh, it just... It felt so in the real world because of the sort of fake documentary part of it. They did a really good job of that. So, uh, yeah, Spirit of America, season two's underrated gem. So, Keith, uh, just to get it off my list, uh, surprisingly, when I really put my head to it, and I really thought about it, and I, I did, I really thought about it, season two, episode 10, that was Spirit of America, and the IMDb summary was simply, a documentary crew records the attorneys as they fight to win a stay of execution for a man convicted of murdering a young girl. Um, I think, maybe not objectively the best, but I think this was my favorite episode of The Practice. I had this on my number one. Really? I just think, wow. I think it was what I thought at the time in season two, I thought it was the first of hopefully many explorations of form in uh, of playing with form mm. and genre in on the show, I thought we might go there a little more often. It turns out we didn't really, um, but that I thought that that going out on the limb really worked for them. I think it was Jimmy's best episode by far. 
uh, and it mm. showed his his ability to be very rigid in his ideals and yet find that flexibility when it was earned. I loved it. Uh, I had it as my number one, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. we both agree on that one. Well, yeah, yeah. Jimmy starts there and ends up in Meatball and Meatball. There's <laughs> yeah. a journey. Uh, all right. So, uh, oh yeah, you're you're up. You're up. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna go next with uh, an episode, uh, another another episode uh, from a li- from season four. So this is season four, episode twenty. It's called Liberty Bells. Uh, with their petition mm. for a DNA test denied. Once again, Eleanor and the others must come up with a new idea to exonerate Stuart Donovan, you'll recall, and keep him from being executed for a crime he didn't commit. But even after a test reveals the sample from the crime scene doesn't match Donovan, Eleanor is shocked to discover the DA still refuses to cancel his execution. In a last-ditch effort, the team Mm. goes before the judge, desperate to make him see beyond the technicality of the law to save Stuart Donovan's life. Uh, that was yeah. I, I, the the penultimate episode in the Stuart Donovan trilogy, and uh, super excellent episode for Eleanor. Uh, re- That's John Hawks. Yeah. John Hawks, yeah. yes. Uh, and very yeah. uh, what I loved about that episode, and I loved, I almost got stuck watching the whole thing again. It built tension perfectly. It was one of the most perfectly paced episodes of the series, mm. and it shows that when it was firing on all cil- cylinders, ep- season four arguably the best season. I would say seasons four and five arguably the best. Um, it, they had the pacing down. They could handle three cases if they wanted to, but in these episodes where they would focus and have the one A case, uh, they really could write, uh, David Kelly could write great tension and they could execute uh, keeping uh, keeping you on the edge of your seat. So that's season four, episode 20. I believe that's also very highly ranked on overall on the IMDb. Yeah. Um, and that's- Yeah, well, it's, yeah, and it's, it's definitely going to show up on my best story arcs. So, uh, but as, as a, all right. So my next, uh, this is again, this best story arc first episode starting to blur a little mm-hmm. bit, but I have a, I have a twofer. I'm going to, cause I, I basically in my head decided it was just, uh, one long 90 minute episode. And that is legacy slash Oz. And this, this was, uh, dealing with Raymond Oz where he, uh, ended up, killing his wife dealing with his dementia. And I think it was just heartbreaking. It was like, it was one of those ones, the end of Oz, like where he's there on the grave where like, if you don't cry at the end of that, you don't have a heart and, uh, just great performances, really high stakes. Um, and, uh, just great. Really. I really liked. And so I'll, I'll just, I'll say that the Raymond Oz is also one of my favorite story arcs. So I'll, I'll spare you talking about that when we talk about arcs. Um, because those two episodes, it, same thing as you, right? I went back and like I spot checked it, like oh, you know, remind me what happened here, and then I, I ended up watching the whole thing. So there it is. Do you have the episode, the uh, season, and episode of that in case people want to go back and revisit? I think it's season five. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't. Uh, I'll look it up while you give your next choice. I'm gonna go with yet another later episode here. Uh. This is season six, episode seven, aired uh, November 24th, 2001. It's called Suffer the Little Children. Uh, Lindsay is assigned a case involving a mentally challenged man who was released from prison after DNA evidence exonerated him of the murder of his wife. The man is searching for his daughter, 
who believes that he murdered his wife, her oh, mother. Interesting. Eleanor is working on a gang killing case in which Alan Lowe is using unscrupulous tactics, so much that he alienates Helen. In order to get the former gang member's family to turn on him, tactics that endanger a subject's family. The victim's family, however, sees Alan's gambit far differently. Um, I believe that's the one. Interesting. Okay. I believe that's the one where they have to dig up. They are exhuming the body. I think that's. I think so. Yes, I'm pretty confident that that's what that one is because uh, I looked it back up. Uh, so there was that we thought was really interesting how they had to go and ask the permission of the of the girl's family to to bring her back up so they could get the DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. uh, and also I just remember the 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 ending of that episode moved me so. Lindsay sitting with uh the client and the daughter comes in and there's that 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 reunion right. at the end. Uh it's just a really moving yeah. episode. Uh, I, rem- I remembered it when I was when I just I had to scour through the IMDb to remember which one it was. Uh because I remembered that that's one that stuck out to me. So uh, that's Suffer the Little Children season 6 episode 7. Hmm. Uh <clears throat> okay, well my next one is uh, we mentioned it before, Betrayal which is the first Joey Herrick episode and the episode where uh, Jimmy is arrested for solicitation and we get the little drummer boy speech, uh, which I always thought was hilarious. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, look, are some parts of Joey's dialogue not holding up great? Uh, Yes, admittedly. But I think it's as uh, as as a contained arc, we have the whole soup to nuts on Joey Herrick. It's instantly exciting, uh, instantly watchable. And I think, uh, you know, and, and Jimmy getting himself in that situation, that feels very tied to the character. So I really enjoyed Betrayal, which I believe is in season two. That is season two, episode two. It was the final episode on my list uh, as one of my favorites. And so, uh, Keith, we're just down to what you have. Okay, well, I, I I told you I had six, so I'm going to give you two very quickly. Uh, number one is the case of Harlan Bassett, where uh, he finally gets his big win. Um, like I said, Ernie Sabella, amazing, um, heartbreaking, definitely felt all the feels uh, watching, uh, watching him go through all of that. And my number one episode, I mentioned it before, Mr. Hinks Goes to Town. I think... Uh, we rated it. That is the highest one that we rated together. Um, I just think, you know, the 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 Mr. Hanks arc goes a little goes a little wonky, sort of near the end. But if you remove the effect of the other story arcs, mm-hmm. the other seventeen serial killers obsessed with Lindsay, uh, if you don't punish that episode for the repetition of other times. It's really compelling and really exciting. And I think Mr. Hanks Goes to Town just as a single episode is flawless. I think it's absolutely flawless. And it is um, an incredible performance. It's an incredible story. It's unique. It's exciting. It has the twisty twist that actually feels earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is my number one. So we've, we've already sort of done it. Let's talk about our favorite story arcs. Yeah, so, so we, I will say off off the top, I've already talked about the William Hinks story and the Raymond Oz story. So, and I have three more. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so if I take out Hinks and Raymond, which we have covered, but if if I would say that if you 
if you were once again, like just pitching the practice to like someone who was sick for a couple of days and needed to watch a couple of story arcs, obviously you'd throw them Hinks, you'd throw them uh, Raymond Oz. I also think you'd put the George Vogelman saga on there. It was uh, mm. a great sort of serial killer, murder mystery, cat and mouse game uh, with, you know, which was silly in many ways also. Uh, then I'll, who will ever forget the nun, the nun habit, uh, final image of Hinks mm-hmm. just like smirking away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, Vogelman, excuse me. But also you get to see Cameron Manheim do some of the best work of her career, uh, in, yeah. in, in all of those kind of bizarre trappings. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting, there, there, there's an interesting mystery there, but also some some great laughs and just some great performances. And it's like the first time we're getting stabby stabs inside the office. So uh, you, you can't, the practice, any journey through the practice isn't complete without the Vogelman saga. No, I, I think you're right. Um, I, I, I will say we've already mostly sort of talked about it, but uh, the Joey Herrick saga, of course, the introduction, him being a serial killer, him getting himself off, on insanity and then coming back as a lawyer, all of which makes perfect sense when you're dealing with a with a uh, a maniacally uh, maniacal genius uh, with a narcissistic personality disorder. It's just all fun. It's um, you're you're if you start a Joey Herrick episode, you're gonna finish it. Yeah, and I think his his journey is just really fun. So uh, next. Um, I, I'll mention this like little, this little special one. I already talked about it before. Um, there's a, the mini arc of Jimmy, uh, the Bataluco or no, uh, Jimmy, what's his last name in the episode, in the show? I just did a podcast on it. <laughs> Jimmy Berluti. Yeah. Hours. The Berluti Kittleson <laughs> romance. The, the Berluti Kittleson romance oh, I find yeah. to be a really kind of beautiful, uh, and especially in its, in its inception for where it starts. To to mm-hmm. where it ends. I think that last scene they have in the bar where they just kind of have a meeting of the minds and then go their separate ways is just a just a sweet little, you know, for better or for worse, uh, and very messy at times. I think David E. Kelly, for network television in the 90s and the early 2000s, took some swings when it came to relationships. I mean, not only was the the this relationship of two more mature people being explored that work together interesting but the the latter half of Bobby Lindsay amongst all of the insane shit they were doing to Lindsay's character like exploring divorce exploring a a contentious divorce um seriously with some infidelities and some different you know, really it was it, they did they took some swings and I, I appreciate it for that um but this was a perfect little exploration of of this relationship. It had some laughs. It was beautiful. Kittleson and Jimmy, that's one of my arcs. Yeah, I I, I love that. I, I I had it was not on my list, but I think it's an excellent uh, an excellent story arc. Um, and uh, I sort of already talked about it, so I'll I'll just briefly say Eleanor's death penalty case. Like I said, the John Hawks thing, I thought that that arc was very exciting. And, you know, all the death penalty arcs are always so compelling because the stakes are so high. And it's dealing with an injustice. In my personal opinion, as someone against the death penalty, just flat out, feeling that it's all an injustice, but specifically with an innocent 
you know, with an innocent client, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, um, instantly, oh God, here we go. And, uh, and Eleanor handling that is spectacular. So, uh, the last one that I'll say here, it's back from season one and that's Lindsay's tobacco case. Yes. Uh, if you remember part four, Lindsay's, it's her first trial. She goes after big tobacco and it was the first time I think in the series, the practice we were like, oh shit, this is good. Mm-hmm. And this this can be a thing. So uh, Lindsay's Tobacco Case is on my list for best arcs. Um, I have two little ones I'll mention real quickly. Um, one is just sort of an idea experiment. Uh, go and watch both Lindsay's murder trial uh, and then go back and watch Bobby's murder trial. And just <laughs> sort of how differently they're approached, um, both in framing, mm. in performance, in resolution. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, and then finally, because we've clearly, you've noticed in our best episodes and in our best story arcs have really left out season eight entirely. Uh, oh, I'll, was there, a, it's non-canon, Mike. Yes, we determined it's non-canon. I think it's, I think, it, I think it's worth mentioning the McDreamy saga. It's a three episode arc, um, mm-hmm. where, where, uh, Alan Shore goes back to, his hometown to defend mm-hmm. his best friend. And we learn all kinds of interesting things about his past and this, and, and McDreamy's mom. And, and though the resolution of the, where the murder weapon ends up is ridiculous. The rest of the case mm-hmm. uh, had, was well paced, was well done. I think Spader does his best work as Alan Shore for the practice in this arc. And it potentially had set the table for some really great, uh, further development of the Alan Shore character, they don't decide not to go for it, but as just like a, a singular sandwich, yeah. it's it's well done. So I thought we'd mention that as well. Okay, well, this will be fun. Our last top five, and of course I have six, yeah, like I have always, a I have a bunch, most yeah. insane moments. We, we, we can just be quick about it, but yeah, we'll what quick. were the most insane moments of the practice. Mike, you go first. Okay, I'll start with one just to get it off the table. Actually, I'm going to go two because the first one doesn't really count. I'm just going to say season eight, basically the whole goddamn thing. Just season eight. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yep, right. Let's just, Sharon Stone, head on the wall, take it from there. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to start, Keith, with uh, the disguise guy. If you remember, it was like this guy who like kidnaps some chick and she's like trapped in a house, but then he's also like delivering dead bodies via UPS. He's selling well, hot he dogs. he was always a different type of delivery person. He was delivering flowers. He was a bellhop. He was a yeah. UPS guy. It, it was just like somebody pitched that in a meeting and they all laughed hard enough that they're like, yeah, let's do it. And so they did. And let's it's a thing it. that's on TV. Yeah. Yep. Uh, fair enough. Um, I'll go with, uh, gunning down George Vogelman dressed as a nun, mm-hmm. uh, a, a fully nude Helen guns down George Vogelman dressed in a nun's habit. Uh, it's insane. It's fun. I, I, I'm not saying it's, it's bad, but oh, it is definitely insane. like, yeah. Wow, that's insane. And, and the little twirl he does with the knife and like his performance there is amazing let's stick with the nude theme keith let's not forget when uh (laughs) they walk in on roberta kittleson in jimmy's apartment i can't even remember why they were going into jimmy's apartment but there was all of her kittles and bits out there and it's just that's that that's that moment yep 
I, I don't think you can do this without mentioning Bobby McRambo throwing a guy out a window. Yeah, in the hospital uh, room. In the in the in the hospital. Uh, so that's I mean Bobby McRambo in general, but mm-hmm. that I thought was the McRamboiest of mm-hmm. all the Bobby McRambos. Well, then let's stick yeah. with Bobby. And how about when he gets kidnapped by Donnie Wahlberg and there's like a whole action s- hostage episode mm-hmm. sequence? That was yep. insane. It's on my list. Bobby abducted by a Backstreet Boy. Yep. That for whole sure. episode. Yep. <laughs> how about let's go to maybe the most insane, I think the most insane plot line of the whole series. Ooh. It, out of nowhere, there's a whole... Mm-hmm episode that they think is saying something about something it's aping itself it's aping cbs they kidnap les moonves and the whole plot is to blow him up with a cannon on live television yeah and who was the guest star yep andy mcdowell andy mcdowell blowing up les moonves with a with a with a civil war cannon uh i think it takes the cake yeah. Uh, well, yeah. That's that's also on my list. Uh, not surprisingly, um, I also have uh, Old Man John Wick uh, from uh, from I think it was season seven, or maybe it might be season eight. Anyway, an old man goes on a murdering spree, uh, lighting the guy on fire in the hospital, mm-hmm. and like Ugh, clean up on aisle four, whatever the stupid catchphrase was. He had one for every. Uh, was that that was a different episode than Red Bum Red Raw? Dude gets blown off a toilet. Different episode. Oh, okay. I don't know why I combined episodes. them, but that think, so that's next on my list then. Oh yeah, no. God, I, I, less said about that, the better. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yep. But, and, but it's uh, not so, so much last, that a man got oh. blown off the toilet. It's that they did a full reenactment of it. And a wildly racist reenactment well, yes, of that, it. That well. Also. Sort of calling themselves on the racistness, but not. And oh boy, is it funny? Is it not funny? Kids, it's not funny. Uh, last up for me is uh, William Hicks blowing up the damn office. Yes, he did do that. That did happen. Full on blowing up Rebecca and Lucy in the office. I got a couple more audio Keith. cassette tape. I've got two more, oh, and then I've got, I've got two out of practice special mentions. Um, oh, hell yeah. So number one, uh, back to season eight, which I've kind of already written off, but let's not forget Eleanor Superman punching uh, the, oh, God, the opposing right, council course. and basically breaking her neck. They wheel her off in a gurney on a backboard. Yep. And we see her in the next episode with like an extreme neck brace. So that. Uh, which b- becomes a, a fetish object. Yeah. It was like the sound effect and all. It was like. Phew. Um, and then, yeah, I can't believe you didn't put on your list. Let's not forget the end of that one episode where there's just a man pretending to be Superman. Let's not forget. He believes he's Superman. Uh, and then yes. jumps out of the courtroom window. Luckily, not to his death, yeah. but it might as well have been. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a moment as well. And then my final two things, Keith. Um, mm-hmm. Let's hear them. Two, I would say, mysteries for the ages broken here on the Out of Practice podcast. Never discussed, I haven't seen any discussion online. I've not seen any discussion in my thorough one Google search. Uh, Oh, so thorough. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Dramaturgically, uh, Mm -hmm. the explanation in the pilot, and both of these go to production, but the pilot of the practice 
Keith and I made an entire mm. brand out of it. There's just, yeah. you know, Bobby Bobby is, you know, he's, he's an upstart young lawyer. They don't have a lot of money. So there are pizza boxes in his office. I get it. His clothes don't fit. I get it. But what I don't yeah. get and never got is that in that pilot episode, mm. folks, go back and watch it. There's yeah. just one lone spare tire in Bobby's yeah. office, just like chilling out yeah. on the corner. Uh, never explained, never understood, uh, but I'll, I needed to mention it here on our final episode. And then Keith. Yeah, yeah. The mystery that was never solved, never will be solved. Uh, yeah. We broke it here, and I it begs to be Delicious mentioned. Delicious on toast. Yep. There is just a cupboard full of grape jelly, b- jars mm-hmm. upon jars upon jars of grape jelly in a murder suspect's house. Uh, we thought it would come into play in the resolution. It never did. It's never discussed. It's never understood. It was the dentist with the cockroach in the mouth, not the craziest thing. Wait, that was but, Henry but, Winkler, right? That was Henry Winkler. But wasn't, you know, now thinking about it, like, was the grape jelly used to attract? Because he he liked stomping on the bugs, right? Was that used to get the the cockroaches to as like bait? Con, you know, come together as bait for the cockroaches. But didn't he put that on the on the body? I don't remember. It's uh, but it's unsolved, and it will remain so. Unfortunately, unsolved. the grape jelly. That's unsolved. my final uh, crazy moment. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I got another clip. Before we reveal the practice, the musical cast. All right, uh, here we go. On the show. Well, I think we have a we have a toss up between Dookie. And- <laughs> <laughs> Dookie. It was Gruber. You were looking for Gruber. Gruber. Dookie. In Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Dookie. 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 Massachusetts. Massive, 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 Massachusetts. Massive, 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 Goober and Duke. Goober doesn't even sound like Dookie. <laughs> that makes no sense at all. Oh, God damn it. All of our best clips are literally just you laughing at yeah. stupid shit you say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, if, I don't know if you cut it out to play. Do we? Because one of my favorite moments um, mm. is still was uh, when we were doing a commercial for the fish sticks. Bob Saget, what was it? Oh, oh well, no, no. Uh, 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 Danny Tater's Danny Spader Tater's tots. Spader Tots. Oh, that one was great. That was a great mm-hmm. riff. That was a great riff. That 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 was good. I I don't think that I had enough. I had like a clip because we kept we we split it up too much. Mm. I didn't have like one good clip of that. But I don't worry. I have I have more. Oh, great. great so great. uh, all right. So this next segment is probably going to be a little inside baseball if you're not in the theater community. But for us, this will be interesting because, of course, we're about to hear clips as I'm teasing uh, where we're going. We're going to be hearing clips from the Practice the Broadway musical. And uh, so we definitely wanted, of course, to cast the Practice the Broadway musical. 
So uh, let's go back and forth and uh, and see who we cast. Keith, I'm from gonna, the Broadway I gotta community. be honest, in completely on brand, uh, as Jen and I yeah. were brainstorming all of these um, different lists, I I, 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 I dropped the ball on this one. I, I don't have a list. But she didn't give you her list? Yeah, I don't have it, and I don't have one either. So I'm going to try to do it on the, like I've done many things. I'm going to try to write my haikupsi on the fly. Okay, okay, <laughs> very good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work from the from from the bottom up for some guest stars. So uh, who plays George Vogelman in the practice, the Broadway musical? And I'll give you my choice as okay. a way to uh, to fill time. You're thinking I'm casting Dan Fogler. Uh, Dan Fogler, Ooh. who you might know from uh, Spelling, Spelling Bee. Bee, it was his Broadway debut, and now he's in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, Dan Fogler, terrific actor, funny ass dude. Oh, I like that. Um, you know what? I'm going to give you Alan Lowe. You know what? I don't need it. No, I don't need George Vogelman. Oh, Vogelman. I'm gonna See, go. Who who would look good murdering in a nun habit? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Dennis O'Leary. Dennis Leary from uh, Dennis Leary. No. Yeah. Okay. Not not Dennis Leary. Who's the guy who's Dennis on, O'Hare? Um, Dennis O'Hare. Yes, that's my pick. Dennis O'Hare is who you're looking for. Uh, which is interesting because Dennis O'Hare is also in my cast. Oh, amazing! Playing William Hanks. Yeah. Playing William Hanks. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so think about your Hanks. Well, I talk about who's going to play Kenneth Walsh. Who's going to replace Bill Simichovich? Do we have to uh, replace I'm him? Going with, I mean, he could, but it's the musical. So he's got to sing. So we don't know if Bill can sing. Uh, so I'm going with Mark Kudish. Oh, that's good. Who I think would be a You've would clearly be a thought logical. through this. You've clearly thought through this. All right. Wait, well, I'm, I'm just going to give my give me, yeah. ideas come to you. <laughs> so our Catherine Piper... Originally played by Betty White, of course. Uh, friend of the show, Jackie Hoffman. Yes, 100%. Of course, yes. should play Catherine Piper. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Hanks, of course, Dennis O'Hare. Uh, Denny Crane. I, ha- I, have a, I, have a, I have an interesting one for Denny, for Denny Crane because I would love to see the part played by Tyne Daly. Ooh. I would love to see what Tyne Daly would do with Denny Crane. I think Denny Crane for me has to be Nathan Lane. Oh, God, of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course, Nathan Lane. That's great. Uh, all right. Uh, Joey Herrick. Uh, for me, played by a Broadway legend and musical star, John Larroquette. You, you can't recast Joey Oh, Herrick. you can't recast. No. But you know who could replace him pretty well? I mean, you could... Um, mm. You know what would have been great? For the God, tour. God rest his soul would have been uh, Roger Reese. Mm. He, oh, he would have been great. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, but I mean, Larry Kent uh, doesn't need he, any help. You're just coming up with people who played Gomez Adams in The Adams Family. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's who you're pulling from. How about how about Tom Wopat? Right. He can be... He can Tom Wopat! <laughs> oh, boy. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, all right. Alan... Alan Shore, uh, your wife and I came up with exactly the same person to play Alan Shore. Who did she say? And that is Michael Siveris. Oh, yeah. Okay. I like that. Who who has the uh, just, just the right sousson of creepy uh, while still being watchable and likable. Uh, Roberta Kittleson, naturally, uh, 
played by none other than Beth Level. Oh, Beth has Tony to do winning it. Beth Level. She would be amazing as Kittleson. She's kind of like that in real person in real life. So it's Christian Ebersol could do it too. Mm-hmm. You could show yeah, me. Ebersol's a, a good choice. You for could that. see yeah. me. Yeah, I could see a Christian Chenoweth go nuts on it too. Yeah, yeah. Chenoweth's not about a bad choice. All right, so now we're into the main cast. So uh, Helen. Helen Gamble in the musical will be played by Laura Benanti. Oh, yes. She actually looks just I like her. I think that looks just like her. Um, and, and I think Laura would add a, an element of funny to it, which would be which would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have a do you have a Helen? No, I like that Helen. I'm that's I, I double down. All right. All right. Uh, Jimmy played <clears throat> played by Josh Gad. Oh, that's good. I think he'd be an amazing Jimmy. I could also see, you know who would be great? I mean, probably a little old for it now is, um, he, funny because he was on the show, is Ernie. We oh, talked about that, yeah. right? We well, talked I, about how they probably were up for the same part. He he had to have been up for it, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Lucy. Uh, I'm going to go with Sophia Ann Caruso from Beetlejuice. Uh that's funny. I was would, thinking of I can't Ava Ava Nova. I can't pronounce her name. Um, she, she was just in uh, Hades Town. She was the principal in Hades Town. Oh yes, yes, and uh, <clears throat> Miss Saigon. Yeah, yeah, she'd be great. I can't think of her uh, name. Ava, I Ann. know who you mean though. Yeah, it does. It's does, for us. Yeah, yeah, it's for us anyway. Uh, it's for us. Nobody, nobody cares. Everyone's skipping ahead. All right, so Eleanor. I like this one. Reigning Tony winner, Joaquina Kalukongo. Kalukongo. Kalukongo from Paradise Square. I, I think like she'd that. be an amazing Eleanor. Uh, do, you, do you have an Eleanor? No. I like it. Okay. Uh, this is going Rebecca. great. This is going well for me. This is, go- this is going great. I feel really good about my picks. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Rebecca, Ariana DeBose. Love it. I love it. I'm Oscar thinking, winner, hosted the Tonys. Give me, um, oh my God, she's, I can't think of her name. Um, give me a Nika Nani Rose. Mm, great. Uh, or give me a, Helen, uh, a Heather Headley. Like a mature, a more mature. Give me a Heather Headley. Ooh, Heather Headley. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. All right, Eugene. I think there's a very obvious Eugene out there. I could see a, the, I could Give me a Brian Stokes Mitchell. Give me mm-hmm. Alan Green. Hmm. Um. What do you got? You're gonna love this, Josh Henry. Yeah. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Obviously. Hundred percent, obviously. What about Josh Cynthia Revo for Rebecca? Ooh, that would be great. She'd be great in a lot of things. Although she'd demand more screen time um, than Rebecca ever got. Yeah, that is for well, that and good. The show yeah. would be better for it. Uh, all right, we only have Lindsay and Bobby left to do. My Lindsay is Philippa Sue. Oh, I like that. I like Philippa I think Sue. She'd be amazing. How about? You know, there's, there's like kind of a start, startling lack of redheads in the uh, Broadway lit community. Um, like Carolee's redhead. 
you know, I could see is uh uh I could see Jillian Lewis as a as a Lindsay. Oh, she'd be a good Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. Or her sister. I'll, I'll tell her. Uh, any of the Lewis sisters. Or Lise. Yeah. Right, right. That's good. Uh all right. And Bobby. Who's your Bobby, Mike? You gotta have a Bobby. Well, I think Eric would be great as Bobby, for sure. Speaking of keeping it in the family. Um, but I think friend of the show, friend of the family, Andy, our boy Andy, is Bobby Donald. Oh. You don't okay. see it? Oh, no, I, I, no, I totally see it. No, no, he'd be great. Um, yeah, well, my Bobby, you already mentioned, it's Eric. I think Eric William yeah. Morris is, is our Bobby. Yeah, well, we both, like, that was our both our top cast. So, Eric, congratulations. Friend, friend of the show, in the family, there it is. I think that's our Bobby. All right, so... Uh, now. Oh, we'd save we'd save on housing to... if we cast Eric and Elise. That's true. We would, yeah, because well, it depends on where we're putting up the show. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, clearly, it's a big robbery thing. So, all right. So the next thing I think we should do, and this is where we are going to start introducing the songs from the show, is that we are going to talk through <clears throat> the cast and characters of our show. So uh, we are going to begin with each of our main cast members. We don't have to spend forever on them, especially, um, you know, the, these first ones. But I think we should start with uh, briefly discussing Ellen Lowe. So uh, do you even remember that he was on the cast? I do. It was so brief. Uh, they never really settled on where he was going to sit whether he was going to be pure antagonist or if he was going to kind of straddle the line. Uh, there was many a romance opportunity. I think that's one of the reasons they brought him in. Um, but alas, a career came a-calling, and we we barely knew you before the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Yeah. Yep. No, that's, I mean, that's true. And I, Ron Livingston's a terrific actor. Incredible. And I think there was definitely a great opportunity for a, a Helen romance, I think they were setting him up to be one of the the big bads. Obviously, the character that Smitchevich turned into being um, as as an adversary. But uh, yeah, no, he uh, he was too hot coming off a of band of brothers and office space, and uh, he was not with us very long. So uh, next up, another character who was not with us very long, and that is uh, Tara Wilson. So uh, thoughts about thoughts about Tara. There, it's hard to have thoughts. I mean, obviously, Rona Mitra, incredible. But they just didn't know what they wanted her to be. I mean, she ended up sort of just being kind of like a a, a potential partner, a, a sexual slash romantic foil for Alan. Uh, but her motives were unclear. Her, her um, ideals were unclear. Her role on in our firm or in Denny Crane's firm was unclear. Uh, not the most well written character. Yeah, I I sort of feel like they forgot they forgot to write a character. She yeah. basically became a foil for Alan. And you know, had they gone in a like a Bonnie and Clyde, because they, they were sort of hinting that she was also a little bit uh, amorphous. Flexible, yeah. Let's say. Um, I, I never bought the romance. Like, I, I don't think that she was in his league. <laughs> I think that was, that was sort of a fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But, uh, I mean, she's a terrific actress, and I, I feel like there was something there, but I think it ended up blending in with all the other hot young lawyers who didn't really get defined. So, okay. uh, uh, speaking of one who got a little bit more defined, but not a whole bunch, and that's Jamie Stringer. So, uh, again, the caliber of actor you're hiring here is amazing. Um, so Jessica Capshaw as Jamie Stringer. I loved her, and I think I, I think you could argue she did more with less than almost anyone else in the yeah. cast. Uh, she mm-hmm. made choices. She had a journey. I mean, she really was brought on as the first time they t- attempted this story arc of just because she's beautiful conventionally doesn't mean she can't also be extraordinary at her profession. Um, she was one of the characters that actually came out a little bit more unscathed, whereas Lucy and basically every other female lead we had had some sort of trauma. Horribly (laughs) murdered. (laughs) Was horribly murdered or sexually assaulted or what have you. Yeah. And Jamie sort of kind of luckily didn't have to endure any of that. Uh, And also maybe one of the saddest fates for someone with so much promise, she sort of ends up like, interning for meatball and meatball and that's sort of for <laughs> meatball and meatball uh but i know showing all of that promise but uh i loved Jamie. yeah i mean yeah. yeah i i think that had they given her more to do i think she would feel very organic in this cast um mm-hmm. you know coming in and just joining the cast sort of like she did um you know and she did a good version of the young lawyer does her first case and she's mentored. We did that a bunch of different times. Um, you know, th- there were a couple of bad moments, like what about my clothes or whatever? Uh, I don't know. That was bad. But I, I the romance with Eugene, I I didn't yeah. mind that, that romance, because you know me, I, I wasn't ever really a fan of their love lives. But I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm glad to, s- I was happy for Eugene's character. Um, it sort of ended weirdly, um, but uh, I I didn't dislike that as a as a plot line. I like Eugene is so mysterious in his personal life, and it was good to sort of see him out of the office just a little bit, even though that's not what I like focusing on. But because we hadn't overdone it, it was welcome. So I also um, feel like she's indicative. Her character is indicative of sort of one of the uh, one of the pitfalls of the series, whereas. When a character wasn't quite working for them, mostly because they were, it was unwritten or written un, un, unevenly, she suffered from, well, let's just bring in an almost identical character, another young hot lawyer, and see if that fixes it. And you're like, no, no, you're just well, adding I, too many ingredients to the pie. Well, they're, they're, they're waiting for a breakout character, but you have to write one. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't just keep bringing in good actors and not giving them anything to do. Because um, Jessica Capshaw is a phenomenal actor. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of someone they, uh, they did bring in and wrote a lot, of course, Ellen Shore, um, as, uh, as depicted on the practice, we've talked an awful lot about Alan Shore. Um, but I think we can, we can certainly, um, yeah, talk Alan Shore. Listen, uh, we've expounded quite a bit on how incredible James Spader is. Uh, this is him at yeah. peak, peak Spader. Um, it, it, it brought a lot of clarity to learn that David e. Kelly was writing Alan Shore to be 
a big bad to be a despicable person. Yeah. And it's it, I don't know that there's a better compliment for an actor that he you're just so goddamn charming that we have to just like completely shift the character into the main protagonist of a whole new show. So I mean, yeah. hate, you can't play, hate the player, hate the game. Um that was an old uh, phrase from the 90s I tried to like shoehorn into this moment and it didn't work. Uh No. Like I said, I still think his the peak moment for him on the practice was uh, that arc with his best friend because it showed a vulnerability. It showed him being wrong. The the problem, mm-hmm. the biggest problem I had, aside from some of the just mannerisms and turns of phrases and overt sexuality that really didn't hold up well, is that they kept trying to have him do all of these things, say all these things, be all these things, uh, act a certain way. And then they would give him these really sincere moments at the end of episodes with like a, a, a half-hearted apology or a speech about how much he loves and respects everyone. And you're like, but he never, it was never action speak louder than words. It was just words, words, words. Yeah. And so I found yes. that that was sort of the trouble I had with the Alan Shore character. And, and I hear and I understand that it's better on Boston Legal. And perhaps, who knows, uh, we'll get to explore that. But that's my overall it, thoughts. No, it, it, it is. No, and I, I think that um, it, everything that you just said, you know, about just the, the lightning in a bottle you have with Spader on screen. Um, you know, I, 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 in preparation for this, I actually watched the first two seasons of Boston Legal again. And a, they do a much better job with the character. They they find a way to make him much more likable by making him much more vulnerable mm. than he is on the practice. Um, and also they tone down the the creepy spader of it all. Um, increasingly, as the series goes on, it starts a little bit like, but it, it slowly gets better um, and the character becomes much more likable as... He goes on, but uh, yeah, I mean, James Spader is a—he is a unique actor among actors. I think in a lot of ways, like there's not—you can say like, oh, there's lots of Channing Tatum's or there's lots of whatever. I don't think there's that many James Spaders out there. Mm-hmm. Um, he is entirely a seasoning, a flavor onto himself. Uh, all right, so let us now talk about speaking of the Broadway cast. Richard Bay. Uh, we uh, gone gone too soon, gone too early. Fan, um, not a great on camera eater. Fan, uh, what do you think about Richard Bay and Jason he, Kravitz? I thought Jason Kravitz was played him great. I think you know he he suffered from a lot of the early season issues of them writing a lot of just like uh, uh, using very simple. Uh, make fun of you humor just like tease about him being short tease about oh he'd never helen would never like him because he's not a handsome guy and it just it seemed a bit bullyish which you know is a Mm -hmm. is a another pitfall that i think follows the writing through the series in many ways uh see season eight and jimmy uh but he always had he always had sort of a nougaty center and what i liked is that he was never Schmidtovitz, right? Or Schmidtovitz. He was never uh, outwardly trying to sabotage a case or trying to be... He, he he always had his convictions about him and believed in what he was fighting for. And so I thought he was... And he tried to be helpful many times or tried to strike a deal and we weren't having it. So I, I liked I liked this character and I was sad to see him go. Uh, yeah, I, I think 
I think you put your finger on what makes this character unique um, by comparing him to Smichovich because uh, Kravitz, it, R- Richard Bay was a, he, he was idealistic, right? He, he was a true believer in what he was doing and he was sort of the antagonistic. He, he was the, the antagonist in this where he was always going up against being hardline, being sort of like uh, draconian and right wing and his thinking about uh, the process. But I think that was redeemed from a storytelling perspective and made interesting by the fact that he didn't think of himself as the villain. He's the bad guy who doesn't know he's the bad guy. He was a true believer. And mm-hmm. I think his dynamic with Helen was great. I think, I think nothing did more for Helen's character than Richard Bay. Yeah. In terms of, you know, teasing out what's going on. She's not just a serial killer. Like she actually has um, thoughts and feelings that are a little bit fan, a little bit more uh, detailed. And so I, I liked him teasing out her vulnerability. Um, so, and I think Jason Kravitz did such a good job that, um, you know, there are plenty of other, he did 31 episodes, but I remember him more than a lot of the characters that did more episodes than that. Um, I thought he did, he did an excellent job. And I, I think it's a shame that they killed him off. I mean, obviously killing him off was a great story and a great story arc and we got to, but I mean, as, as, as mentioned earlier, if they weren't going to really spin that out as a consequence for Helen, you don't need to kill him off, yeah. right? He's a great character. And there was, I, I thought there was more, I know that David E. Kelly sort of felt like he didn't have anything else to do with that character, but I thought there's there was more to be mined out of that. So, uh, Richard Bay, okay. Mike, you know what it's time for. It's time to talk about the uh, the shiniest of our cast members, Lucy Hatcher, uh, joined us in season two. Talk to me about talk to me about Lucy. I was so excited to see our friend Marla because I just adored her on Full House as a kid growing up, um, and so to see her in the next kind of breakout role, I appreciated. I loved, I loved how she grew into the part. I loved how it was sort of just like a she was going to be the receptionist, and how she grew to be so much more. They gave her more to do as she showed her chops. They wrote her some really intense. Actually, one of the most, I think, well-written arcs of a character because, you know, they they had her endure some pretty bad trauma and thus then, rather than what they did to Lindsay, which was just like let her suffer through it, they had her become a uh, a crisis counselor and get involved with the victims. And I loved everything. And then they bring her back because she was so great to work with. And I'll say that, you know, speaking of scheduling, we, we, did, we did have an idea, I'll say, now in the finale – we we were in we had the wheels in motion to have our one guest interview and marla had very sweetly agreed to be on the show and we just we couldn't we couldn't make it work um but uh, she had been hitting us, she'd been in the social media she was really nice uh, when we would reach out to her with any questions or liking posts and whatnot so um and I, one thing she did say that I think is indicative to my point I'd like to make is she said, oh my God, I had such a great experience, but I don't remember a lot of it because I was so young. And I think that is what, that is something to remember. I mean, these are dense scripts. These are quick shoot dates. And she was so early in her career and was so excellent and, and held her own against just formidable actors. Um, And just never felt less than never felt, other than 
uh, was absolutely a part of that core ensemble that I think of as the practice cast. Absolutely love Marla. Love Lucy. Well, and I, 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 th- I think one of the things that I just realized is I said, oh, she came in in season two. No, she came in in season three. And yet, for me, like you said, core cast, right? Lucy is part of the is part of the the main core cast. And I for when I look back and I think of she, Lucy's always been there, right? Mm-hmm. Lucy's always been part of the main cast, and um, I think that speaks to what her her performance was. And look, you know, the character started out as sort of a conflict generator within the office, and sort of like snarky to the point of absurdity for no particular reason and people reacted incredibly strongly to it and and we had like fist fights and Eleanor trying to punch her right and all of that but but the character grew into more than just somebody thrown out a zinger once or twice you know I, I I feel like um you know the character was a little underused but when given an opportunity um you know that having these multiple sort of sexual traumas and it's like, that's a lot. And I, I don't know if we needed all of that. Um, but like you said, it's partially redeemed by it having logical consequences by having her then do something with it. It, it gets continued. And I think her, you know, becoming a, a rape crisis counselor is like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. That is what she would do. Um, and I thought it was a really good progression for the character. Uh, so yeah, I mean, iconic, and uh, it's 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 Lucy Hatcher, and we're uh, we're very lucky to have had her on the show. And you know what this means, Mike? Do you think maybe this is a uh, an opportunity for the first song from the practice the musical uh, song, of course, by Lucy featuring Rebecca? Uh, it's a little song called. A note from the landlord. Are you ready, Mike? (laughs) Okay, I'm ready. Here, Here we go. I got a note from the landlord And they had a question About our disposal of body parts And they asked me if we had a dead girl delivered And a head in a bag And a head on the wall And a dead dog in my drawer Sometimes I think We're all lose our security deposit When things start to stink Sometimes it's hard to clean up Sometimes I think this office is just not a safe work environment. <laughs> Each room is full of murder weapons. Also, we both were blown off. <laughs> oh, that's the that's the ending. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Oh, God. So I'm so excited. That, <laughs> that is, of course, uh, Lucy featuring Rebecca in a note from the landlord. 
So uh, <laughs> let us continue with uh, the, uh, the, the character I'd want representing me in a murder case, Eugene. That's not a picture of Eugene as it came oh, up, but crap. I'm assuming there will be pictures of them. Nope. Nope, that's, that's entirely mislabeled. Where are my Eugene pictures? <laughs> All right, well, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll imagine. I'll, I'll see if I can find them while you talk about Eugene and the legendary Steve Harris. Yeah, well, I think that it's almost apropos that we saw pictures of Helen because at the end of the day, when we really boil it down, in it my opinion... Helen uh, uh, yeah, uh, Eleanor. Uh, it. I believe that the sh- the practice, as much as Dylan was the guy, and then as much as Alan Shore becomes the guy, the practice will is and always was Eleanor and Eugene. Um, Jimmy, yes, mm. but the two of them were always the kind of soul of the whole operation. Eugene, what a complex character. Clearly has some personal-ish going on, clearly has some family stuff that influences the way he thinks about the justice system. Uh, He tried to be loyal to Bobby. He tried to be a good friend. He tried to keep the moral center of the office. He was passionate. And when he was was dedicated and and nobody gave a close like, like Eugene, you know? Uh, Bobby had the charm, but Eugene had the fire. And, uh, as Keith said, we've said many times over the years, if it was us, if it was my life on the line, I'm calling Eugene. Yeah, and I, you know, Steve Harris, I think, is one of, like, the the world's underrated actors. Um, and, like, is... And, and I know that this show and he specifically were nominated for a lot of NAACP awards for the portrayal of this character. And this, and this, I have to really credit him and I have to credit David E. Kelly that his race never played a factor in his effectiveness. He was, he he was just a badass lawyer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, you know, that was a, that was part of the story, but most of the times it wasn't, it was just representation of badass lawyering. And, uh, just as, a, as the quality of a of a of a human being that Eugene was, and the quality of lawyer that he was, you know, his introduction was a little weird in the pilot, but it wasn't everybody's. Um, but I think he was one of the most consistently written characters throughout the throughout the series, right? Because he, um, he, he was all he, he was always wrestling with what he did. That was part of his identity and getting pushback from his ex-wife and dealing with the ramifications for his kid. Um, but at the end of the day, he just believed in the law and he used it fairly. He never cheated and never cut corners. He was he in in some ways, you have the duality of Eugene and Rebecca D. Cricket, mm-hmm. right? Because you have uh they they are both the centers of integrity, um, you know, and, and Eleanor as well for sure. But I don't know why that picture's in there. But it is, you know. Sometimes there's just weird things in the pictures. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think I think like Steve Harris is somebody who you could easily write a show around. And I'd watch the you know we talked about it before. I think Eugene ending up as a judge makes perfect sense. His mastery of the law, his integrity, great. Sign me up. Hundred um, uh, percent. So I would, I would love to watch Eugene the Judge the series. 
Um, and he occasionally beat people up. But when he did, it was satisfying and it made sense. Yeah, they earned um, it. They needed it. So, uh, uh, yeah, so Eugene, Steve Harris. Uh, Steve Harris also looks exactly the same today, yeah. 20 years. Like, he, he's some sort of eternal uh, uh, person. But uh, you know what? Do you happen to remember what uh, what Eugene's favorite clothes was? This is America. Oh, you think? Uh, maybe maybe we could hear some of that song from the musical. This is America, where we set our willies free. This is America, right in court for you to see. When your clients Lizzie Borden and toilet bowls explode your ass. Where Superman's the bad guy and nipples Robin's behind glass. This is America, where the judges scratch your eyes out. America. This is America. Uh, character of Eugene. All right. Up next in our cavalcade of stars is none other than Eleanor Frutt, played by the legendary Cameron Mannheim. Michael. Incredible. Incredible performance. Never phoned it in. 100% commitment. And... You know, the thing about Eleanor Frutt, Eleanor Frutt is that I think, like I said earlier, I feel like she is with Steve, uh, with Eugene, the sort of moral compass of the whole operation. Always felt like she was in it for the right reasons. I wish we could just do away with the whole early plot line of her weight being a part of the character. Um, I felt like, though I think it was handled well, and I think that it was an important story to tell, completely like you were saying about Eugene where it had nothing to do with his race I wish this had never had anything to do with that I think it was just such great casting mm. from a purely uh, I, I, it's hard to expound on what I'm saying here but I just well I, I think what you're saying is that reputation uh, representation matters yes. a great deal and and I think she was representing that by existing yes you know and just just right. doing it just being um I also think that she was able to pull off one of the like hinkiest, uh, uh, Vogelminiest plot lines, even though it could have been completely ridiculous. Um, every time she shed a tear, it was earned. Every every yeah. close was incredible. I think her friendships with Eugene, her friendships with Bobby, her friendship with Alan were all really nuanced and really helped the dynamic of the various plot lines, her relationship with Helen when they lived together, bizarre and kind of awesome. Um, and what can you say? It just was just a delight. And I think when you think of the practice, 
it's hard not to think Cameron first almost. I mean, she uh, for is sure. almost yeah. the sort of face of the show to me. So that's pretty I, special. I I think so too. And I I think that she um, you know, she broke out as an actress and you know, and again, representing what people actually are mm-hmm. and doing so proudly and openly and in um, you know, and she's been very open about like, yeah. I am different and that's great. And this is, you know, what should be represented on the screen. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, just a terribly nice person. Um, and and frankly, one of the reasons that I thought to do this was meeting her. Was actually, you know, and and I, I, I told the story, I think probably in the pilot. So I guess 180 episodes is a good, fair time to do it again. Uh, was uh, they did a uh, the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening on Broadway um, with Marley Matlin, and and as and as we dealt with before, uh, Cameron signs fluently, and so she was the speaking voice for Marley's character, acting it out, and so that and and so it was a they were sort of a, a dual track. Anyway, we were there to see a friend. And I was, you know, after the show, we were on stage talking with our friend, and I hear this voice from behind, the, hey, you want me to take a picture? And turning around, like, oh, yeah, sure, we all, get, we all got together, and I hand, I hand my phone to somebody, and I look up, and it's freaking Cameron Mannheim. Just no, like, I'm Cameron freaking Mannheim. Just, just being a friendly person, awesome. seeing that we could use somebody to take a picture. She had no no like expectation of being recognized or that we would care. And I was like, <laughs> like, like a freaking idiot. Like I'm such a big fan, but she's like, here, I got you. And, and like, she took a picture of us awesome. just because she's a great human being. Really awesome. And, um, you know, and, and from mutual friends or whatever, like, I think that has just borne out. So, um, yeah, Cameron Mannheim, I think is the soul of the practice. I really do. And she deserves um, a song. You know, the she she yeah. She well, she deserves a song, but maybe she's gonna sing a big part in our finale song. Okay. So uh in fact, the next person we're gonna talk about is her her partner in crime in our finale song, and that is, of course, Rebecca. Uh talk about one of the characters that had one of the the biggest growth arcs. Mm-hmm throughout the run of the show. Uh, yeah, talk, talk about Lisa Gay Hamilton and Rebecca, Mike. Well, she's, I think, the most growth and I think the biggest missed opportunity. Uh, you know, she started as sort of just the the Rebecca D. Cricket on on Bobby's shoulder. And, as a secretary. As a secretary. And then, you know, they, they let her grow into a practicing lawyer, which was a really triumphant moment. Her first case was mm-hmm. the triumphant moment. They teased her a huge case um, when 9-11 was happening. Uh, they also, right. you know, te- two of yeah, them. They also tasked her with saving Lindsay's life. Um, and then sort of, she just kind of got written off the show, ostensibly. And that, I think, well, not, I think that, well, I will take that away, even with season eight being kind of a cluster hump. And I still will take Rebecca sort of being forgotten. And, you know, a lot of that might have simply just been her career was taking off and she was working on other things, which we know for a fact was happening also. But I just, my biggest regret for my dream scenario would have been a lot more Rebecca in a lot more high stakes 
situations. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not to take away from the heart and compassion that she brought to our characters, how integral her relationships with everyone were. I really love that one scene. I always sticks with me with her and Eugene kind of talking about her experiences, kind of talking about his personal life. It's some of the most like personal stuff we get on the show. I remember her, that triumph we felt for her when she uh, got her degree, she passed the bar. Uh, I just, everything, and everything that Lisa Gay touched turned to gold. So uh, just, just, just awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, you know, I think she was probably of our main cast, the most underused character and actor. Um, you know, she she had some she had some good arcs. She had some good some good stories there. I, the the scene that I think you're mentioning at the end of season one, where she talks about having had an abortion, mm-hmm. I think is one of the most beautiful, like just magnificent chef kiss acting scene. Um, incredibly well written as well, and of course, adding the context later about her growing up um, in a, in a very religious place, you know, without and and the the with CCH Pounder as her mother debating uh, what right. to do after she got blowed up. Um, I thought that was, I, you know, I thought that was very interesting. I think the other thing about um, about Rebecca and. Um, about Lisa Gay Hamilton specifically is, and we could have used more of this. She's very funny, yes. and and I think we for the the monologue she gave about killing the rat mm-hmm. was one of the funniest moments yeah. of the series. It was so funny, so well delivered, and I think you had you definitely could have done more of that playing off of her very like Rebecca D Cricket very straightforward we're very like honorable but also she's got she's got this little edge to her that really makes her fun and interesting so um yeah i always would have liked a little bit more um of rebecca in the show but i think for for lisa gay hamilton i walked out of that excited to see her on the screen every time she shows up and whether it's a bit part in a movie or in a show i'm like oh awesome mm-hmm. this is going to be good totally um, so, uh, that is, we're going to hear more from Rebecca a little bit later, but now it is time for everybody's favorite meatball. It's Jimmy. Let's talk about Jimmy and Michael Badalucco. He had a huge lift. I, I, he started as like a purely comedic relief character. They teased him. He had sort of a unscrupulous beginning, laundering money. Bobby's doing him a solid. They made fun of him. He was the butt of every joke. He couldn't get, they paid him crap. He couldn't get a good case. I mean, they did everything to him and still, and this is like a lesson to any actor out there. It's like Badalucco never gave up on the character. He never just said, oh, um, this is the, this, he he f- clearly fought behind the scenes and through his performance for more for Jimmy and he got it, you know? And Jimmy, I would say, probably next to Eugene has the best rap of the whole series he gets to, I mean, it's the tone tonally, it's ridiculous, but he gets yeah. to go do his own thing and help his people and bring a little integrity. And come full circle from Jimmy the Yeah, Grunt. It's just, I, I think no performance on the show was as profound for me as Michael Badalucco because of, because of the stock character written for him and how he championed the character and made it something. 
just like we say Cameron's the face, I, I also can't, the, the show is nothing without Jimmy. It, it, whereas he was written to be an additive character, he ends up being uh, sort of the special sauce in the, uh, in the secret ingredients. Well, I, and I, I think that's a really good way of putting it because Jimmy's character not coming from all of the elite places of everybody else has the ability to have a different point of view mm -hmm. than all of these like hyper-educated Hollywood liberals like us. Right. You know, he, he was like, he's, he was Catholic. He was, he didn't grow up wealthy. He doesn't, didn't have the education. I think Lindsay was coming from Harvard. Like, um, so he had an opportunity for growth. And I think that that is, both, you know, in the writing of the character and the performance of the character, but also just like the story, the growth of Jimmy is so profound. You know, Rebecca grows from a secretary to, to a lawyer, but she's sort of like a great secretary than a great lawyer. Jimmy starts out as not a great lawyer and a guy with some pretty backward ideas and, and ways of approaching stuff and him growing as a litigator, him growing as a person, his acceptance of his mother, his change on the death penalty. You know, he is a little bit of like the liberal fantasy of the the conservative dum-dum whose eyes are opened. But I think I think it was all earned. And I think you know, what you talk about in Michael's performance of Jimmy, that he never played it lazy. Mm -hmm. He always made sure that he was playing something real, even in the ridiculousness of what he was doing. Like it was coming from a real place. And so it was justified, even just in his own head. Why is he a dum-dum here? It it didn't read as like, all right, I'm just going to read the dum-dum line and who, who cares? Um, always cared and always gave a great performance and, you know, broke our hearts, made us laugh. Uh, big fan of the Jimmy character, you know, I didn't like the tone of Meatball and Meatball, but like if you fix the tone, I would 100% watch that show. Or too. make it a cartoon. I could see it as an animated series. As an animated series. I love it. Uh, and you know what would be a, uh, speaking of an animated uh, animated show, what would be a great uh, theme song and, and uh, introduction for that show? Not animated, but would work with what you're talking about. Uh, the spinoff of Meatball and Meatball, uh, Jimmy the Grunt. Yes. Snaps. Jimmy the Grunt. All right. Well, the, the musical is taking shape. Yeah, that's, it's, all, it's really everything. It's it's all coming together. This, this next one's going to be something. Uh, let me tell you, because we are going to talk about Helen Gamble. Lara Flynn Boyle. Uh, take it away, Michael. She's a, she's a spicy meatball herself. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, in the beginning, she had a he- hefty workload as she was the only operating DA in all of uh, Boston slash Los Angeles. Ray's the only cop. Yeah. She's the only DA. She, you know, I thought it was cool. I think what the character ostensibly does is, you know, kind of brings home the message that though we think of the legal system as this sprawling enterprise, in reality, it's just these hardworking people on both sides who know each other, have relationships with each other, are friends, are frenemies. They're all hooking, They're up, hooking up constantly. Up. Uh, we had some great moments with Helen. She she also dealt with some uneven storytelling. Uh, a murderer, a murderess uh, by many accounts. 100%. But once again, Lara Flynn Boyle, excellent. I loved the moments when we'd see her drop her sort of uh, purely uh, um, sort of uh, antagonistic roots and try to try to strike a deal or try to be helpful or um i i thought she was great i thought she was great and i loved uh i i'm not sure i loved i loved her relationship with with helen when they were living together the stuff with bobby has always felt a little on the nose but uh yeah i don't know i don't know what else to say really really i mean she she really grabbed for Mm -hmm. it with with bobby yeah i i think the character sad to see her go season seven and eight really and just never spoken of, like literally never spoken of again. Um, I think the character of Helen is very interesting on the show because she's obviously the like super hot lady on the show, whatever. But at the same time, she's written to be like a stone cold bad guy mm-hmm. in a lot of in a lot of the what she does, and that she's she's not the the Bay character, where she's come from a place of idealism, she's much more, she's very Old Testament, right? She's revenge. She's eye for an plotting. Eye. She, eye for an eye. She's she's gonna, she's gonna get what she thinks is justice done, no matter what. And we see that that sometimes it has a toll on her, but her ruthlessness never seems to. Right. She she always felt fully justified in all of the, you know, murders that she did. And it didn't really seem to cost her anything. So she if we're going to say that one of the characters on the show is a stone cold sociopath, I think it's probably mm-hmm. Helen. Um, and I think that's interesting. I, I, I think I like the fact that we let her be let Helen be Helen, you know. Um, and it's not that she didn't have moments of vulnerability, which she did, but as an, a sort of antagonist, as a frenemy, it was a good color to the show. And I think that when she left, not having somebody on that side of the fence that we're working against or with or whatever, uh, we lost something mm-hmm. not having the, uh, you know, the other side of the star, <laughs> the other side of the coin, to to battle against um but uh she definitely it was 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 pretty ruthless but uh, she was she, you know she was she was not the only person who was uh ruthless on the show but she might have been the leader of them and uh she leads this song uh here we go helen gamble and the cast ready let's go You are 
making a gamble. Helen or otherwise, we are more than you can handle. If you think you're bad, take a look at our rap sheet. We got more kills than a banger on L Street. Yeah, three of us have been charged with murder. And that's not even counting Helen. If you mess with my wife, I will flat out murder you. Threaten my life, I will flat out murder you. Get in the habit of fucking with Jason Kravitz like Glenn Close with a rabbit, I will flat out murder you. We sent a serial killer to kill another serial killer. Fogelman shot, Hicks decapitated. Guy who shot Bay was flat out assassinated. Lawrence O'Malley shot in a doorway. Bobby got some cops killed and everyone ignored. Hey! We also killed Tuco. Take that, Breaking Bad. <laughs> we got him first. <laughs> we will flat out murder you. Oh man, that's great. That might be my fave so far. Can you hear me, Mike? You know why you're dying? <laughs> Do you remember oh that Oh my scene? god, I just remembered that. Uh, yeah, so there we are. Helen Gamble's uh, rap. Do you ever want to hear Keith Varney Something. rap? You just got it, Internet. You're welcome. You you just got it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's my, my secret stupid pleasure. All right, well, that brings us to... Uh, the person who did a lot of the murdering or was it was tried to be murdered a lot, and that, of course, is Lindsay Dole, played by Kelly Williams. Michael, let's talk about Lindsay. Well, y'all know, I had the crush of all crushes on Lindsay Dole. I mm -hmm. was over the moon when her and Bobby got together. I was devastated when she was treated so poorly, season six, season seven. I was excited when she uh, got unconvicted of murder, uh, even though she did murder that guy. <laughs> but I mean, like... She full-on did. You know, she got off on a technicality. Yeah, that's, that's the best You got to protect yourself. You know what I mean? Even if your kid's in the other room. Uh, you know, we, we've talked, we've, we've kind of said that everybody, there are some characters that got the short shrift. I think of all shrifts, of all the shortest of shrifts, uh, Lindsay by far <laughs> got written the weirdest at the end. Uh, I still am just hoping that she's okay out there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we didn't get a lot of uh, clarity on what happened, but uh, it sounds like we did not, whilst no. Bobby is still pining for her, Lindsay at least had the dignity to be like, yeah, hell no, that's not happening. Yeah, she peaced out, yeah. Uh, but also her cases, I mean, she, before there was an Alan Shore getting the millions of dollars, there was a Lindsay Dole bringing millions of dollars. She was the goldmine of that office because, you know, mm. But what I also liked about That's her, right. Keith, is that though she definitely was the sort of elite liberal from the elite school, uh, she also took on the big the 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 fights that nobody else wanted. Right the the big tobacco, uh, the cancer cluster. She the asbestos, the asbestos case, case we case never, we never heard about. She just because she believed in doing what was right, and uh, also like not to minimize it, but. Not, I mean, I'm not going to minimize it. Kelly Williams was just excellent. Just, I mean, they all, I mean, I think that's when we, when we kind of wrap it all up at the end of the day, casting the department, casting department knocked it out of the park. The performances are tour de force every week, every week, even in this, even on really weird storylines or, or flat out bad, badly written ones. Uh, I, I love Lindsay Dole to this day. Uh, I mean, I know CEO Jen is listening, but I, I have a huge crush on Lindsay Dole. 
It is what it is. I'm I'm, I'm Kelly Williams. Yeah. No, well, no, no, and, no. And Lindsay Dole. Yeah. Lindsay Dole. No, oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you're right. I think she is definitely the worst treated character on the practice by head and shoulders, by decapitated head and shoulders. Um, you know, the, the episode Sex, Lies, and Monkeys, you know, where she was date raped and then she like had the fake gun thing was probably the most, that story was probably the most offensive thing on all of the practice. Um, and that's not even the, and not even the, the A story of the guy who looked like a monkey and got fired for it. That, that episode was a hot mess. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I I think we forget how young Kelly Williams was and how young the character was and seeing her, especially she, she was, she was the character and the actress who made the practice a show I wanted to watch in part four. With the tobacco case, her first case, like her first clothes there, where I was like, oh, I haven't even put up her pictures. Aww. Um, like, that was the first time I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, now we're talking. This writing, this performance, this this idea that we're wrestling with, I'm so on board for that. Um, you know, obviously, she uh, was a serial killer magnet. They were every serial killer on the Eastern Seaboard was obsessed with her. Yeah. Um, and maybe Danny Kelly was too, yeah. you know. And uh, if if you can't have it, write a bunch of serial killers chasing. I don't know. Uh, but uh, again, her growth, and I also like that her character um, at least attempted to have a different lane. Mm. In, within the firm, right? Because you you had Bobby and Eugene, you know, were were defending the murderers, were defending the rapists. She kind of wanted to go into into uh, non criminal law, so she she was doing class action stuff. She was doing um, uh, civil cases, and I think that that was interesting. And I, I wish that they had allowed her uh, just like at least a half an hour not being chased by a serial killer to pursue some of that because some of those cases were some of the more interesting cases out there. The class action stuff that, that was a sometimes was really a breath of fresh air from murderer of the week. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So Lindsay Dole, huge part, you know, I, I didn't mind the divorce. I didn't mind, you know, the, the love story at all sort of made sense. the, I wish I, no, it made sense to have them divorce. Their divorce, the reasons for the divorce didn't make any sense. Uh, but uh, anyway, obviously, you know, one of the iconic and important characters from the practice um, who just might in uh, in the practice, the Broadway musical, have a little question uh, of, uh, for perhaps a series creator about uh, uh, what's going on with, with my character. Uh, in a little hoedown. That goes like this. What did I do to David E. Kelly? Why does he want to murder me? He seems intent to put me through hell. He tortures me weekly on your TV. First there was George Vogelman, who clearly had a stabbing habit after we all worked to set him free. Stinks was William Hinks was freakily obsessed with me after we all worked to set him free. 
What did I do to David <laughs> E. Kelly? Why did he want me to be impaled? With all of the killers who wanted to wear me, I was the only person jailed. Then there was a cannibal who thought that he was Hannibal. My husband worked so hard to still defend. <laughs> Then there was a bellhop who liked decomposing teeny boppers. At the end, he was my only friend. <laughs> a serial killer each week on Sunday. All want to kill me or take me to bed. A girl in a box and a head in a bag. But each and every one of them ends up dead. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so, New fave. <laughs> gotta, you know, look, you've, you've got to have a, you got to have a hoedown. Oh, that was great. If you're going to do a musical. Uh, if you're keeping track at home, folks... There's only one more person to talk about, and that is, of course, Bobby McDonald. Mike, he's the face of the franchise. Talk about Bobby McDonald. Well, we'll talk about his face first. Yeah, we we said it up front. We'll say it again. He's hot as hell. I mean, we so are hot. two very heteronormative men, and I think we both bend right over for Bobby Donald. Uh, <laughs> 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 Did I just summarize the podcast, Keith? I think you might have. Oh, I, I, I got a. Where, where is it? Where is it? I got a very big dick. Uh, that all said, what I love about the character is, I think, you know, this is once again before the sort of golden age of the antihero. Bobby Donnell is a flawed character and a flawed man, and they don't ever try to skirt around that. Now. A couple seasons down the road, when we meet Alan Schur, they do. They they seem to excuse it all, but it, Bobby's never really let off the hook. Yes, I think he's he's given a couple of loopholes and escape routes, but for the most part, the viewers left to make their uh their opinion of Bobby for themselves. And and not a great husband, uh, not a great uh, dad in many ways. Uh, yeah. Uh, not a great son, not a great friend, but at the same time, often a great lawyer. And that's a sacrifice that he made. Uh, often has to do the hard thing and makes the hard choice. Also has moments where he is a good friend or when he takes advice when he shouldn't have or he he apologizes when it's needed. He 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 is a little, uh, much like Jimmy, he's willing to to be malleable and to grow and to change. Uh, I think Dylan did a great job. We see a growth in Bobby. We see Bobby change. We see Bobby try to help himself. And I think the tragedy is in when we see him return in season eight, we recognize that a lot of those attempts to change, a lot of those attempts to get better, don't necessarily pan out for him. Uh, I think his work is a bit of an obsession for him, and I think that it keeps pulling him back. And in that last episode, we kind of see the framing of that. It also puts a wall between him and the close relationships in his life, be it friendships, be it partnerships, be it relationships. And uh, that's that's a good character. It's not always a happy, rosy ending. And uh, I wish that he hadn't been unceremoniously fired <laughs> uh, because the show is was his is his and always will be his season eight doesn't count because it's not his it's not canon yeah and uh i mean we've we've talked about helen we've talked about eleanor we've talked about eugene we've talked about jimmy we've talked about everybody and and how they are absolutely 
the heart of the show, but the soul of the show is Bobby. Uh, it was Bobby's from day one, and as far as I'm concerned, it will always be Bobby's. I love you, Bobby McDonald. E-I-E-I-O. E-I-E-I-O. Yeah, I mean, Bobby, I think, has, looking back on it, I think Bobby's character is more interesting than I always gave him credit for. Because as we were sort of like, who's he going to be dating? Who's he sleeping with? Blah, blah, blah. Is he, He's obsessed with various black widows. He's, you know, dating half of the cast. Because uh, he, like, makes that with pretty much everybody other than, yeah. like, Eleanor and Rebecca at, at various points. Um, but I think when you look at Bobby as a whole, he's a stand-in for the writer. Mm-hmm. And I identify with him a lot now understanding what his character means. His love affair is with his work. His reason for getting up in the morning is his work. That is what he cares about. That is who he is. And that all of the other things, people, kids even, his personal life, none of that really matters to him. And when he pursues it, that's where he becomes selfish because he will never love Lindsay enough in in the same way that she loves him because Lindsay's the mistress to his work. You know, and people like this, there are a lot of people, I'm like this, right? I get up in the morning for my work. I get up to write. I get up to create. This is why I exist on this planet and why I prioritize it and why I don't have kids, frankly, because Bobby is a, we assume, a pretty shitty father because the kid's a window dressing. It's not the thing that gets him up in the morning. And that's an interesting character. And for a lot of obsessive writers or lawyers or people tied to their job, it's a wonderful, beautiful life if you don't allow it to make you selfish and sort of taking advantage of other people because your heart's not really there. Your heart is in front of the typewriter, in front of the, you know, in front of the judge. That's why he that's where he's alive. And if you you can sort of see it in the performance that Bobby's always a little bit dead unless he's in front of the judge, in front of the jury. And I think that that is what this character is. We just don't really know that until you look at it, you zoom out a little bit and, and get a sense of that. And I think that makes him like, I don't know, I'm a weirdo, right? Mm-hmm. But I relate to him. I relate to him a lot. And um, and the sacrifices that he makes, and the ending of his character, is where he kind of should have stayed, mm-hmm. right? I'm 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 working. That's what I do. I'm building this firm. I'm taking the cases that I want. I don't really have other people, you know, or or the other people in my life know that this is second. It's not first, and uh, so it's it's interesting. And I th- I think Dylan's performance. Um, grew and grew and got better and better as the show went on. And, um, you know, it's iconic. It's Dylan McDermott. Like, Dylan McDermott is an icon, you know, an icon from that era and continues to be now. And I think just as a as an actor, he's grown and grown and grown. And his work in the Hollywood series is the best work I've ever seen him do. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he, uh, he, he, he shows that... Uh, I got a very big dick. That was awesome. Uh, anyway, so 
Yeah. So and and all and and the and the rage underneath all of this, right? Underneath everything that makes Bobby tick is 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 a rage, isn't isn't is a fire, is a passion that perhaps uh, would uh, lead him to his uh, 1980s action spinoff. Uh, of course, uh, folks. So, of course, syndicated 80s amazing series, Bobby McRambo. I'd watch it. I'd watch it right now. <laughs> All right. Well, there's only one more person to talk about uh, before we uh, do some thank yous and, uh, and close up shop. And I think uh, we should I think we can we can talk about the show as a whole as we talk about David E. Kelly. The uh, the creator, the Bobby, the brain, the uh, the the god of this universe. Well, I think you know we've done hundred two two full weeks twenty four seven talking about mm-hmm. our friend David uh, in good times and in bad, picking apart everything yeah. he has ever written. So before we <laughs> before we even do that, I just I think and, and with as much sincerity as I am able to muster as a human being. Just to say thank you to David, because this is a world yeah. you and I have lived in. We've we've laughed, we've cried, we've uh, picked apart. As you said, there are some things we we've really criticized hard, politically, uh, tonally, and I stand by all of those things. Uh, none of them are indictment of David E. Kelly, just at some of his work. And as you know, Keith, it's when you put your baby out there, it it's there's there's a vulnerability there, and so I appreciate him oh, yeah. allowing us and the world at large, that space. The other thing I'll say about David E. Kelly, uh, sort of overall, is I respect about him much about what I respect about you, Keith, and that is just the dedication to prolifically doing the thing you do, which is writing. I mean, at the the kind of peak of this, he was writing, what, four series? I mean, just cranking it out, different tones, different universes, and just... I mean, that's not just like for funsies in my bedroom uh, in a journal. I mean, that's on network television at the highest level there can be. Yes, you have a, a room of writers, but that is not the, – the the buck still stops with you at the end. No. It's a staggering amount of work. Uh, just incredible. The other thing that I appreciate – and I'm, I'm going to stick mostly with the positives because I think we've we've done a podcast and we've been – Critical, a lot. Uh, but that said, the, the w- once again remembering that in network television, especially in this period of time, it it's still the same way today, but it's slightly different. You are at the behest of your corporate overlords. You don't want to ruffle feathers. You don't want to upset your sponsors. You don't want. You kind of want to ride that middle ground. Not so much David E. Kelly. I mean, he's sort of. He sort of uh, 
really pioneered, I don't want to say pioneered, but he really was at the foreground of the ripped from the headline story storyline. He, when he had a political opinion, he did not shy away from letting you know it. Yes, mm. he did a, 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 a decent job, I think, of presenting both sides of various stories. But at the end of the day, you knew where he stood because he got that big monologue at during closing time to say the words he wanted to say. Um, and at yeah. times was even less subtle and just freaking blew up CBS entirely. Um, <laughs> so the balls to make some of those statements, I mean, especially the liberal statements he was making, you know, as far as the death penalty is concerned, as far as um, the war, the war, the war on terrorism, our reaction to the war on terrorism, quote unquote, to the Patriot Act. I mean, he went for it. And were it not for creators like this making those types of statements, imagine where our polarized media today could be even further polarized. Um, so just that. The show that he, this world he created, um, I would in, love to have seen him have this now because now we live in a world of telling tight six-hour stories, you only need six yeah. episodes, and you can kind of create them as one entity instead of, as we've, I think we talked about a few weeks ago, network TV then was, by the time you wrote season three, you're already working on, or you wrote episode three, you're already working on episode 15. You just, you know, you're just, you're just churning them out. It's chaos, yeah. And so a lot of the criticisms yeah. he faced from us during the run of our podcast is is due to that sort of, frame the great uh what's what's the what's the documentary on south park it's called like six days to air or something like that it's it's yeah. different but it's it, it gives you sort of a, a look into just the chaos of producing a show on the fly um so yeah. i recommend you check that out um the thing that i think a lot of network television suffers from and and the practice is no is no uh exception, exception. There, there is a lack of cohesion through us through the arc of the seasons. Um, there are great little mini arcs throughout. I think uh, there are a couple of strong seasons, three, four, five, six ish, come to mind that feel like great beginning, middle, and ends. Uh, not so much all of them, but I will say what he what he definitely knew is how to leverage the 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 gold he struck with his ensemble and how to have them work uh, amongst one another and that he could actually take some risks, risks tonally. He could take some risks with some more outrageous stuff, even changing form here and there because he had such great casts. So overall, I think, you know, this is a classic television show. I'm so glad that you unearthed it from the crypt for me and I will miss it. I already miss it. And I, I don't doubt that I will revisit it. Um, quite often. So to David E. Kelly, I say thank you. And obviously I, I still appreciate his work to this day. So, uh, Hey, with reboots, yeah. with all the reboots happening in the world today, there's no, I wouldn't be shocked no. to hear there's a six episode Bobby Donnell, uh, resurrection. Oh, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. I'd be, um, I'd be over the moon. Yeah. I, I, I think where you started and ended it is exactly, uh, the right place with gratitude. You know, to to David E. Kelly, who created this world that was worth my time then and then 
I mean, God, if we did 340 hours on air, it's easily twice that, three times that, four times that in the world producing this, spending time on this. And he created something worthy of that. And it's an, it's an act of, I mean, obviously genius, right? Yes. The, the amount of work that he did on this show alone. I mean, he, he wrote 150 something of 167 episodes of television while Ali McBeal was at, was happening, while Brotherhood of Poland was happening, while he was doing movies, while he did, you know, he did Lake Placid during this time. The, the amount of work that he did is breathtaking and continues to do. And that's, you know, and that's, I get it. You know, that's, this is his reason to get up in the morning. And, and what you said, he, his voice is strong in this series. He has a lot to say and a lot of valuable and eloquent things like you said about the death penalty about the war about you know his his dealing with gay marriage yeah. way back in 1998 like that was a you know these these were some risky things for a television show and for a producer to put out there and to do it with compassion and to do it with gravitas to cast a diverse cast Right. And to give them voices and to give representation, you know, yes, obviously we picked apart everything to the nth degree because that's what a podcast does. And like, yeah, yeah we've, we've taken put taken to the woodshed so many times. But the reality of it, the world is a better place because David E. Kelly created this and it helped shape some of my views, some of my beliefs. Uh, you know, I was in high school and and helped shape a lot of people. Or even if it didn't change anyone's beliefs, it represented a a, a a point of view for the world and opened some minds and and gave representation, gave voice to some things that were not on television at that point. And so, the practice as a whole, you know, it it lives in this weird liminal space between bad 90s television and prestige television today it sort of it, it was the it was the thing that that shepherded us as you know because when the practice started it was so far head and shoulders above everything else on television and then up come the west wing and then come sopranos and then comes all of these other amazing breaking bad and it it started the golden age of television and so does it hold up in the same way well, no, but it also had some disadvantages that Breaking Bad didn't have, that The Sopranos didn't have, that some of these contemporary things didn't have, that he was able to create something so memorable and so profound and so good within the limitations of time and space and network and budget. And it really, um, you know, look, I, I am grateful to have had this opportunity to talk about this show and to and to get into it. And, you know, obviously, does everything hold up? Of course not. Was everything great? Of course not. But when I began this journey, when I pitched this to Mike uh, years ago, I didn't really know what was going to hold up. Most of this I hadn't seen since it originally aired. And I, I feel very um, grateful and validated that it turned out to be 
what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And and uh, this show ended up being much better than I thought it was. Uh, so as as we start getting into the the, the misty thank yous of it all, uh, I, I just I just want to. Oh, oh oh no! I, well, I screwed up. Hey, I got at least one terrible screw up into it. it. We have we have we have one more clip uh, from. Uh, as 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 we're nearing the end of the episode, here's a here's a clip, maybe one of my favorite clips from uh, the end of one of our episodes. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, oh wait, our country. What are we? Why before, do we be, look like that? Be, before why before did we, we do put this, ourselves would, on the internet looking like that? I would yeah. Well, that's a good question. I would like to point out that this air we we shot this three days after the insurrection, <laughs> after January sixth. Okay. That is the context. That is why we have flags behind <laughs> us. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, our country uh, depends on people like you being compassionate, and uh, we urge you to do so. Laser sounds, yeah. bombs <laughs> bursting in air with laser sounds. <laughs> really stuck the landing there, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that's bad. That's that's bad even for me. Bombs bursting in air with lasers. I'm gonna advocate for compassion. Bombs bursting in air, lasers. I'm gonna call for national unity, but I really need to impress upon you this stupid, silly pun I try to end the episode with, which I've never successfully done. I'm just I, can, gonna, I can I can see the wheels turning. How are you gonna go from compassion? How are you gonna get from that to He just lambasted them for trying to shoehorn in the crossover's name into the title, and yet I still gotta get laser sounds in, man. <laughs> and I can see as you panic, you saw the Uh-huh, yep. Yeah. And uh, that continued for some time. Yeah, I had to cut it. I had to cut it. Oh my god. Oh, man, that's funny. Uh, that's amazing. Funny. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, Mikey, we're we're kind of we're we're kind of nearing the end, so let's let's do some thank yous. Yeah, three hours in. Here we uh, go. Three hours in. Um, first off, to the people who contributed money to help support us, uh, which we really appreciate and don't deserve, um, but uh, really, like Jorge Navoa, Leanne Wrights, Jennifer Masanova, Cloud Lover sixty nine, Kari Kuhn. Um, and everybody else who supported us uh, in lots of different on ways on the Patreon, uh, I, of course, on the on the Patreon, uh, you know, and just some of our some of our friends who we've talked to and 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 shared this journey with us. Phoenix Cage, of course, um, Tom Brady, of course, we heard from Tom Brady. Uh, you know, my brother Sean, Linda Madsen, Scott Maupin, Brad Thompson, Richard Templeman, Jennifer Masanova, Leanne Hart, Ray Abruzzo, Marla Sokoloff. Eric, uh, Eric William Morris for doing the voiceover, Jackie Hoffman for doing some voiceover, uh, my mother for falling in love with you, and um, and and of course, we can't uh, and and so many more. Uh, believe me, that is not a complete list of everybody that we uh, have to thank here. Uh, but of course, uh, our CEO Jen, who uh, was is such a major part of the show and such a major contributor, who uh, has been on so many journeys with us. Um, so, uh, yeah, never, I mean, never let us get too critical of ourselves, uh, as much as we love, uh, 
self-deprecation. Uh, she always reminded me that there are people listening, people appreciating uh, even our worst of episodes. So um, th- that context has always been really special and important. Yeah, and 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 to everybody who has taken the time to listen to us and to to listen, you know, I always I always say it's nonsense, right? I, to, wasting their time listening to our nonsense. Well, you know, it, it is that, right? But it means a great deal to to me, and I know it does uh, to Mike as well. And to uh, put something out there. You know, like you said before, just to to put something out there into the world, to put your baby out there as unrehearsed and as messy as our baby may be, it is a vulnerable thing to do, right? It's a little scary, and and you're just putting it out there, and you know you're you're afraid of people who might be angry and misinterpret or 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 think it's stupid or think it's bad or worst off, ignore it and don't care. And, uh, and the people who have listened to this, um, we always make fun of the amount of people who listen to this too. Well, you know, it's enough. It's enough. And the people who listen to this have cared, uh, deeply about it. And I am incredibly grateful, uh, to all of those people who have, who have listened either, you know, either talked with us or not, Mm -hmm. who we've never even heard of. We, we have no idea who, who you are. Um, and and we're grateful to you too. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been people who have written in who have launched a podcast because they were like, "Well, these two fools did it, uh, so I'm going <laughs> to launch know? a podcast." I've listened to a bunch of them. Uh, I can't thank you all enough for allowing us to grow. Um, I don't mm. know that we've improved much, but we have improved, and I have learned a great deal about. Uh, open source broadcasting about uh, audio mixing uh, well and bad and good and back again. We've learned, uh, I've learned a lot, Keith, from you about discipline and regimented work ethic. Mm. Um, You've forced me to be better than, um, than I generally am. And I'm eternally grateful for that partnership. It is, uh, you know, as silly as our little podcast is, um, getting to work with you and continuing to get to work with you is absolutely, 100%, I say with utter humility, the absolute joy of my artistic and content uh, career. So I thank you. I'm so excited. To, I look so much forward to where, we're, where we go and how much stupider it will get. Um, <laughs> so thank you. I'm going to leave it there because that's that. Yeah. No, and I no, and I and and I I have to I was I was saving. Uh, oh God, it started. No, don't do it. Don't do it. I've got <laughs> mascara on already, so please don't. <laughs> no, and and like I. <clears throat> no, and I and I want to thank you too, right? Because you know you you talk about having learned. Well, I've learned a shit ton from you, right? And obviously the the technical side, like I I I ran today's show on the tech side which I didn't even know what the program was when we started this. <laughs> right. And, you know, I think I've, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been such a joy to, to have these laughs and do all these things, but also just sort of like learn through our explorations of the past and the present to learn more about you and us, but also to learn more about myself mm. 
as as we as we explore all of this. And so I think that this journey has helped me grow as a person and we've done that together. And I think our, our obviously our friendship has grown and and I'm grateful for that and I think you've taught me a great deal about broadcasting in a in in just the way that I've I I've learned from you as you just bloviate into the world <laughs> as as we talk yeah. right i'm learning how to like i i think you have a a unique talent for this i think your your persona is uniquely interesting and and you are very very talented at this more talented than this show deserves and uh and so i'm grateful yeah i, I and and I'll, and I'll say this about your talent i've i've learned more about your talent in the last year and a half than I had any idea <laughs> you're performing on stage doing this I had no idea how talented uh you are so and that's and so I'm grateful to to have this partnership and to continue this partnership because it hasn't you know it's been a lot of work but it has never been a slog I have never not enjoyed doing this yeah you know, I mean that's insane 300 some odd episodes. I've never not enjoyed shooting an episode. And there have been times we both of us have come in in moods. And, yeah. you know, to, oh, to yeah. those listening at home, you know, uh, we have a good 10, 15, sometimes much longer than 10 or 15 minute chat or work session before right. we get going. And without fail, one of the two of us is able to kind of like harness the energy we need to get going. Uh, they yeah. haven't all been gems, but there, there, there are enough laughs. And so I'll, I'll take this opportunity to ask all of you who have listened and who have enjoyed, uh, there's no promise that the Boston legal show is coming. There's no promise that what there's no, we don't know what the next television recap venture will be. We have a lot of ideas. We'll see what we kind of, we will, we really want to go with what we're interested in because that's the only way to keep it going. But we are we do have some things that are currently ongoing. We have uh we are chronicling just like this, a little different, but just as extended and overlong, uh episode by episode on Deep Space Nine, which is another show I never watched and I'm enjoying thoroughly. So jump on the YouTube on your podcasting yep. service and check that out. And we also talk about toys right now. They're Star Trek toys. It'll probably grow from there. Uh, and we have other stuff we will absolutely get kicking on the internet. So if you have enjoyed your time with us, it doesn't have to be over right now. Um, if you'd like to kick us to the curb, this is a great off-ramp. Um, great chance. <laughs> but if you're, if you're for some reason somewhat obsessed with us and whatever we got going – Stick with us, and you can also yeah. help us. I'm going to just do this very quickly. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M, spell at the end. Uh, as little as a dollar will get you in, and uh, we could appreci- We would appreciate your support. If not, not a big deal. We've loved having you. Uh, maybe tell a friend. That would help us out as well. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's that, right? Yeah. Um, so we uh I guess we're gonna we're gonna finish with uh one more song from uh the uh the practice the uh, the Broadway musical and uh I have to sort of set this one up right because this this takes place in uh, it's an epilogue of and uh, it is it is my pitch for the uh the reboot where uh we meet Bobby Jr and Zoe Frutt who are now friends in law school, uh, 
working on uh, getting their bar card. And, uh, but they come in with all of our heroes and they talk to, uh, to Rebecca and Cameron saying, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I want to do this. All these clients are terrible. You know, this is a, it's a really hard thing for your heart. I'm not sure if it's a, if it's a good idea. And, uh, so this is the finale. card people question if it's for justice and truth that we search but we defend those facing the end we make hard choices like leaving dead babies outside of a church like a dentist when he murders his mistress and hides the weapon inside of a tree or a dentist who drugs and gropes your secretary or a dentist crushing bugs in grape jelly keep a light on you don't know when someone who needs a friend Walk through that door. Keep a light on your ex-boyfriend, none with a severed head or just basic whore. Keep a light on. Now Jimmy comes up. Each of us. I got this job collaborating with Bobby on insurance fraud. Then I gambled away our client's money on the ponies. Oh, yikes. Even your mom committed some harmless crimes. I've been arrested for contempt, drug possession, obstruction, concealing evidence, and light first degree murder. And I got away with at least two felonious assaults. Jesus, mom. Sometimes a hairy dude's fired cause he looks like a monkey. <laughs> Keep a light on. Sometimes we blow up less moon bears with a cannon on TV. On live TV. Keep a Bobby had times of need. She was convicted of first-degree murder and spent the summer in jail. Remember when you met Mommy in the Slammer? I was only arrested for the murder of multiple cops, then tried for hiring a hitman to decapitate Ben from Lost. Separate incidents. What about Aunt Helen? <laughs> we don't have time for that. And I bet those two idiots who did this podcast just might need you someday, too. Probably as soon as David E. Kelly Productions catches wind of this. 
I think I got it. Yeah, I think we're ready. Let's be lawyers. Keep alive. This has been the Out of Practice Podcast. Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for listening. I'm Keith Varney. And I'm Mike Indeglio. There.